0: Hey there, welcome to the Voice of the Force podcast. This episode is entitled Temple Archives. During this episode, we're going to be talking about Star Wars canon literature, which includes books, comics, short stories, and anything that has to do with canon, whether that be in video games or otherwise. My name is Dan, and I am joined here by my co-hosts, Noma. Hello there. And Ed.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Not too bad. And uh, before we jump into literature discussion, we're actually going to tell you a fun fact about ourselves. And today, we're going to be talking about our favorite alien races. Ed, what is your favorite alien race in Star Wars?
1: Uh, it would have to be It to be the Chiss. Uh, we've seen something from them already with the Ascendancy in some of the new books that have come out with Thrawn. Um, in Legends, they were huge as part of their own thing, and the way they ran their community, I think, was was pretty cool. Like, if you like Game of Thrones, you'd probably like the Chiss Aristocra. Um, just seeing what they do and how they come into the galaxy and how they especially worked in the Old Republic with uh, the Imperial uh, Intelligence Faction and the Empire as a whole is really interesting to see that alliance come through, so... Who knows? Maybe maybe if Disney does something right, we'll see them come back somehow. But who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, we do have Thrawn is canon still, yeah.
0: thankfully. So Thra- and, I don't want
1: Thrawn to be the only one. So if he can somehow like yeah. get the aristocrat, in, I'd be 100% looking forward to that. Yeah,
0: and That's in true. the Thrawn novels, we do encounter some other chis Spoiler alert, mm-hmm. slightly. So, on another note, Nomo, who is your favorite, or what is your favorite alien race? <laughs> quick, change
2: topic!
1: Quick Go, change topic. run! <laughs> uh-huh. uh,
0: so, my favorite race,
2: I've loved them since I, I first saw them. Um, it's the Keldor, um, which everybody knows. No, pro- probably don't. Um, if you don't know who those are, that is, if you've seen the Clone Wars series, uh, Plo Klune, um, who is basically the, the orange guy who looks kind of wrinkled, and he's got the, the eye protectors and the nose and mouth protector. Um, and I always thought they just looked really cool. Um, just aesthetically, they always um, really jumped out at me and really seemed uh, like a neat race. And then you learn more about them, and I'm not sure if it's still canon anymore, but in Legends, the whole thing was basically um, their eyes and all of their, their sensory organs, so their eyes, ears, nose, and mouth. Um, they didn't work with with a lot of standard planetary environments, so they'd wear these, these things as... Um, protection and it would let them breathe in you know, the gases they could use and then also in a cool way that let them survive in space because they'd be able to to use whatever you know gases they had stored up and their skin was actually so thick that it could survive the vacuum for a while so i always thought that was cool and you see that a bit in clone wars and i don't know they were they were always the one race where i was like if i if i could choose a race to have to be in star wars it'd be those guys
0: nice yeah mm-hmm um, and my favorite alien race is the twilich species, and that is, I don't know, it's just, I like their design, they have the um, the Liku, is what the two um, I guess tails coming from the top of their head, I don't know other way to describe Head-tails. that, head tails I guess, Head-tails. yeah, um, and I just, I I don't know, I just like their design, and they have so many different um, variants in, in colors, which is the different uh, races <laughs> within that alien species and um, and they have like a they have a red with black uh, design, or you have blue or purple, like literally any spectrum of the of color. You can you can have a different Twi'lek of that kind of color uh, race, and just having them as both Sith Jedi, just like they have. Um, they're a, they are a slave race in the in the universe, but just the the hardiness of the species in in general, like the amount of like stuff they have to go through against different opposing um, military forces and things. You have them as re- rebels and, and whatnot, and it's just a it's a really cool society, I think.
2: As, as soon as you said red and black, I was like, huh, I wonder who he could be Darth Talon
0: talking about. Um, Darth <laughs> Sarlon, Star Wars The Old Republic. Original oh, character. No, yeah, no, Darth Talon. Oh, is... wait a minute. Original character. Yeah. <laughs> this is a fanfic podcast, and now we're talking about my, car- my character, Sarlon.
2: Yeah. I hope you're ready for 3,838 pages. <laughs>
1: I mean, you know, Sarlon still has his, his whole guild thing, right?
0: Oh, he does. The Stronghold. It's so good. I love that Stronghold, man. Anywho, uh, we're going to get on with the podcast. Again, this is a Star Wars canon podcast. We are talking about story. We are talking about how it may relate to uh, future canon material that we may be seeing or canon material that has come out already. We're going to discuss things of like where it's going to fit in the timeline compared to other material, such as movies, TV shows, that kind of thing. And today we have two pieces of literature that we are discussing. Um, We are discussing the novel, A New Dawn, which was the first novel that was released in the new Star Wars canon in 2015, I believe and uh, we will also discuss the first volume of the initial comic series in 2015, uh, entitled Star Wars Skywalker Strikes. And uh, Noma, can you uh, lead us in with A New Dawn, the novel? Sure.
2: Uh, Yeah, so basically how this will work is if you haven't read New Dawn, um, and you're not really planning to, maybe novels aren't your thing, or, you know, audiobooks and stuff like that, then we'll be basically giving you the full synopsis off the bat so that when we do our discussion and talk about what we liked and didn't like later on, uh, you'll be all caught up. So before we start the synopsis, I just want to throw out a quick spoiler warning. Uh, During the discussion afterwards, we do talk about, and I mean for the synopsis as well, we are going to be mentioning Rebels and everything that happens during all those seasons. So if you haven't seen that yet and you'd want to, you might want to stay away from that. And in the comics as well, when we get into Skywalker Strikes, there will also be some discussion about uh, Rebels and Clone Wars and the movies. And then also, before we start, I also would like to wholeheartedly say that this is going to be a kind of bare-bones synopsis of the novel. You'll still know everything by the end of it, but... It is only for people who have no interest in the novel whatsoever. If you weren't interested in the New Dawn, but you don't mind listening to a short, a very abridged version of it and to listen to our discussion afterwards, that's great. If you were interested in the New Dawn, if you would like to read this book, and it's a very good book, then I would wholeheartedly suggest going going out, reading to it, listening to it. I myself listened to it on Audible um, because it is... You know, it's important. It's a good way to support what, what Star Wars is doing. It shows that they, that we as, as an audience do want to hear more of this stuff. And, you know, honestly, bottom line, if we're not supporting the official releases, we're not going to be getting more of this stuff. So, you know, I think it is very important that if you love Star Wars, you love this stuff, go and support it.
0: I mean, we have to subsidize Solo somehow, guys. Come on. It, <laughs> exactly. You, you so, just hire a pilot. I, oh, my God. The best pilot in the galaxy. <laughs> and with that, let's get into the literature discussion for A New Dawn. Yes.
2: The story takes place at the very beginning, during the waning days of the Old Republic specifically during the Clone Wars, and so we start with a young Caleb Doom attending a lesson by the Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is talking about the Jedi Temple's beacon. The beacon can be used to summon the Jedi back to Coruscant. Though hesitant at first, Caleb asks whether the beacon can also be used to send messages instead of summons, surprising the other Padawans and Masters present. Obi-Wan states that the beacon could be repurposed in such a way, and Caleb asks what they should do if they received such a message. Obi-Wan says that, of course, all Jedi should obey the message and do as it says. As the lecture ends and Obi-Wan begins to leave the hall, uh, Caleb asks a final question, which is, what do they do if the message sent is actually a warning? Obi-Wan ponders this and states that, again, they should obey the message and wait for further instructions. So in passing, this explains why Kenobi uses the Temple's beacon to warn the Jedi not to return to the Temple following the Jedi Purge. It was at uh, or sorry, Caleb's kind of question. So a while later, uh, after asking his question, Caleb and his master, uh, Deepa Balaba are talking. And uh, Caleb asks on what a Jedi must do if warned away from the Temple, but... No further orders ever come. She answers that it could be many different things and there's no certain answer, but perhaps it will come to him in a different form. And then we, from there we fade away and we get to phase one of the book, which is called Ignition. The framing of this novel is that the Galactic Empire has a Thoralide mining depot in the Gorse system, which consists of the main planet Gorse, and its moon Sidna. Productions are very much behind schedule, and Thoralide is a material that is used to maintain and keep kind of the accuracy of heavy weapons platforms like turbo lasers and basically the main armaments for Star Destroyers. So the Empire is very invested on making sure that their production levels get back up to acceptable levels. And with this, they dispatch the Imperial Technocrat, Count Denetrius Vidian, to restore production to acceptable levels. He travels to the Gore system on the Imperial Star Destroyer Ultimatum, which is commanded by Captain Ray Sloan, who is a captain in temporary command of this Star Destroyer. To demonstrate that the Empire will not tolerate sloppy efficiency, Count Vidian orders the destruction of a lagging freighter that is holding up the moon, uh, the Moonward convoy called the Cinda Dreaming, which is a cruel move seeing as how the Star Destroyer damaged the freighter as it exited hyperspace, so it is their fault that it was lagging behind in the first place. Vidian also takes an interest in Gorse's labor and environmental problems. The arrival of the ultimatum is witnessed by and Dula who has been tracking Vidian's activities, trying to figure out what he's up to. By masking another ship's transponder, Hera is able to sneak her ship Ghost into the space traffic. Meanwhile, we see Caleb Doom, who has now adopted his name to Kanan Jarrus and has taken a job as a freight pilot. Kanan travels to the Gorse system on the freighter Expedient, which is hauling an explosive baradium bisulfate for a company called Moonglow Polychemical. Kanan's ship carries a passenger, his landlord, Okadaya Garson, who is a mining chief and also runs a cantina on Gorse's surface called the Asteroid Belt. Kanan spots Hera's ship zipping through ship convoy and is intrigued. He attempts to follow her. However, Hera notices and easily outflies Kanan, who is also noticed by Ultimatum, and his motives are questioned by Captain Sloane. Kanan throws Sloane off by attempting to flirt with her, and disgusted, Sloane verifies his ship ID transponder and tells Kanan to keep flying. At this point, Kanan reveals to the audience his flirtation is a ruse. He has learned that trying to disrupt, or in this case, hit on an Imperial officer is a good way to make them think he's an idiot and ignore him. Kanan lands at a mine on Cinda. With Gorse's Thoralide mines exhausted, the Empire has begun mining Cinda, which, until previously, had been Nature Preserve. These mining operations have caused extensive damage to much of the Moon's crystalline caverns. Kanan catches a Gorse local named Skelly, a Clone Wars veteran, arguing with the Besalisk Lal Gralik, the chief of Moonglow Polychemical. His argument is to suspend blasting operations beyond Zone 42, as he believes continued blasting in the interiors of Cinda will wreak havoc on the moon. However, Skelly is seen by most people as a rabble rouser at best, and a crazed lunatic at worst, and Lal ignores him, as most people do, including Kanan. Skelly then follows Kanan into a lift, and attempts to convince Kanan of the legitimacy of his studies— indicating that he has all of his research stored on a disc, He attempts to use their friendship as a way to have Kanan look at his work. However, Kanan balks at this and states that they've never been friends and tries to ignore him. Skelly gets angry at that and becomes more pushy, which results in Kanan decking Skelly and knocking him out and leaving him with a couple of work droids. Unknown to Skelly, his conversation with Kanan is being monitored by Zaluna Miter, a Slustin surveillance operator working for Transcept Media Solutions, a security company who in turn is working for the Empire. Zaluna and her second-in-command Heto muse over Skelly and his previous record of being mentally unsound and causing trouble, and it's also revealed that Skelly has been fired from basically every other mining guild on the planet. Zaluna flags Skelly as needing a mental evaluation and assistance, However, as they do, Vidian's voice overrides the communication channels and fills the building, and he orders their alert levels raised to the highest state. Though Zaluna and her team are confused by this request, they decide to dutifully follow it, and Zaluna, in accordance with these new rules, raises Scully's status to potential threat to the Empire. Unknown to her, this means a team of stormtroopers are now on their way to arrest Scully. Meanwhile, on Cinda, Count Vidian begins his tour of the planet's mining complex. He begins dismissing the oldest workers due to their advanced age, and when the Nemoidian director, Palfa, protests his, these summary dismissals, Vidian snaps and in anger uh, actually beats him to death with his hand, bare hands, well, his bare mechanical hands. And it's kind of shown at this point, we've seen it a bit before, but it's shown at this point that Vidian is very much cybernetic. About 80 to 90% of him is has been replaced with cybernetic components. Vidian continues his tour alone and encounters Okadaia, and still angry, assault, attempts to assault him for his old age. Kanan arrives just in time to draw a gun on Vidian and points out that though Okadia is old, he has a great knowledge of mining that is helping drive up Moonglow's production levels. Intrigued, Vidian and his stormtroopers leave, while Vidian makes a note to look into what Kanan has said. After that, he heads off to an appointment on Cinda's level 39. In the background, Hera infiltrates the facility and knocks out a stormtrooper who gets in her way. She also witnesses the brief confrontation between Vidian and Kanan since scully's criticism of mining operations were recorded and his conversation flagged by zaluna he is accosted by stormtroopers who attempt to arrest him the stormtroopers try to apprehend scully but the former detonations expert escapes by exploding a large cylinder which crushes his pursuers now a fugitive Scully flees into hiding determined to show the empire he is right about his research Scully plants a test bomb in zone 42 which dis- Disrupts the Imperial mining operation on Cinda. Kanan and a fellow miner named Yelkin find the bomb and barely escape a massive explosion. Kanan is only able to save himself and Yelkin through the Force, using it to propel them out of the cave and moments later to save them from a mass of falling crystals, which would have crushed them to death. He is lucky, however, and no one actually sees him doing what he does because when the explosion goes off, all the lighting goes out, and so he is concealed in the darkness of the cave. The encounter with the Force shakes Kanan, and he decides it's time to pack up and move on in case the Empire notices. Count Vidian is addressing a droid master and three aides when the floor beneath him collapses due to the explosion. Due to his cybernetic body, he manages to dig himself out and leaves the survivors to fend for themselves. Both Sloan and Vidian brush off Kanan's survival as lucky, and instead focus on Skelly, with the pair dispatching Imperial reinforcements from the ultimatum to hunt Skelly down. Vidian's manhunt is compounded by his rival, Baron Lero Danth, calling to announce that the Emperor has increased Cinda's weekly Thoralite output by 50%. Vidian is very angry about this, as he sees the entire thing as a ploy by Baron Danth to basically have him fail and look bad in the Emperor's eyes so that Dant can swoop in and steal all of Vidian's resources and power. Meanwhile, as Kinnon leaves the moon on his ship, he encounters Skelly, who was stowing away on it. After attacking Skelly over the attempt on his life, Skelly defends his actions on the grounds that the Empire's mining operations were destroying Cinda. Skelly believes that when Vidian, a man he believes, cares about Cinda the same way Skelly does, Sees this, he will realize the Empire is hurting the Moon and consider Skelly a hero, which Kanan finds unbelievable. Skelly then attempts to divert Kanan's freighter to dock with the Star Destroyer ultimatum, believing Vidian will want to congratulate him. Bewildered, Kanan locks Skelly in the co pilot seat. Unwilling to get into trouble with the Empire, Kanan decides to hand Skelly over to the Imperial authorities at Moonglow's shipyard. On the Ghost... Hera decides to find Skelly and arranges a meeting with Heto, an employee on Transit Media and Zaluna's second-in-command. However, Heto is arrested by Imperial personnel who have been monitoring his holonet activities. Before his arrest, he tells Zaluna that he had been meeting someone on the holonet and leaves a data cube and a potted plant. After finding Heto's data cube, Zaluna soon discovers that Heto's mysterious contact is Hera and they are to meet at a nearby bar that night. Kanan lands at Moonglow and is greeted by the basilisk Gord Gralik, chief of Moonglow security and Lal Gralik's husband. Kanan tells Gord he plans to quit Moonglow, which surprises Gord. He tells Kanan to at least get some food and tell Lal he's quitting before he leaves, which Kanan agrees to. Kanan also tells Gord he has a parting gift for the basilisk and turns in Skelly to the security team before leaving for food. Count Vidian is contacted by Lal Gralik who informs him that he that she has captured the fugitive Skelly. Before Imperial forces can take Skelly into custody, Hera hires the criminal gang known as the Sarlacc to steal one of Moonglow's transport trucks so that she can rescue Scully. During this, she is spotted by Kanan, who, intrigued, attempts to follow her. Due to the distraction, Hera is able to rescue Skelly. However, the gang's leader, Charco, turns on Hera and tries to rob her. Before the Sarlaccs can assault her, Kanan comes to the Twilight's aid and helps her defeat the gang. Though Kanan is enthralled by Hera's appearance and skills, she sees through his flirtations and gives him the slip, leaving him wondering who she is. Aboard the Ultimatum, Captain Sloan and her second, Nibiru Chamas, discuss Count Vidian's micromanagement, including shutting down a med center earlier that day, and his background. While his biography claimed that Vidian was an engineer at a Corellian starship design firm who contracted Shilmer's syndrome, Chamas doubts the, the authenticity of that account. Meanwhile, at his home in Gorse City's Crispus Commons, Skelly encounters Hera, who had hoped to recruit him as a rebel operative. However, after hearing about his research into the moon Sidna and its instability, which sounds dangerously close to crazed ramblings, she quickly dismisses him as a crank and leaves, believing that she has wasted her time on rescuing him. Outside, she sees a note about Okadiah Garson's bar, the Asteroid Belt, and heads off to her meeting, the main reason she came to Gorse in the first place. Using Heto's data cube, Zaluna also heads to the Asteroid Belt to meet Hera there. At the Asteroid Belt, Canon is immediately attacked by and defeats another miner whom he had encountered in a previous bar fight. He then announces he wants to be left alone for the night. Shortly later, Kanan speaks to Okadaia, then meets Zeluna, who is acting very oddly. Though he's first puzzled by her, she reveals she was avoiding and has shut down the hidden surveillance in the bar, which confuses and shocks Kanan. Hera then arrives, which intrigues Kanan, and reveals that she has come looking for Heto, who had contacted her, ...about abuses of authority in the Gorse system via Holomet. Zaluna informs Hera that Heto was arrested by the Empire... ...but that he had managed to download sensitive Imperial information... ...onto a transept database... ...including a visit to Gorse by a mysterious man... ...named Lemuel Tharsa 20 years ago. She lets Hera see Heto's cube... ...which turns out to have a detailed report... ...on all the ways the Empire uses surveillance... ...and what data it records... However, before Hera can fully sift through the information, Skelly enters the bar, and Zaluna, seeing him rightly as a crazed terrorist, flees with the data cube. Skelly informs Kanan, Okadiah, and Hera that Count Vidian is coming to inspect Moonglow in a few hours. Seeking an opportunity to speak to Vidian directly, Skelly asks his allies for help in securing an ID to get through the security cordon around that part of Shaketown. Due to Skelly's reckless nature and possible insanity, Hera is reluctant to help and Kanan point-blank refuses. Before they can leave, however, an Imperial patrol enters the bar searching for Skelly and Hera. Kanan and Hera manage to outwit the Stormtroopers by hiding Skelly in a closet and claiming that an intoxicated Wookiee is inside. After the Stormtroopers leave... Hera convinces Kanan to lend her his Moonglow security card so that she can enter the facility and spy on Count Vidian to find out why he is interested in the Gorse system. While he is wary of getting noticed by the Empire, Kanan is also still infatuated with Hera and wants to get into her good graces. He agrees to lead Hera there on the condition that no crazy stuff takes place. Hera also takes an interest in Lemuel Tharsa, a mining consultant doing freelance work for the Imperial government. She suspects that he is somehow connected to Count Vidian and believes that Moonglow will have the answers she is looking for. Phase two of the story, which is titled Reaction. Captain Sloan and Count Vidian travel in the Imperial Lambda Shuttle Truncheon to inspect the Moonglow Polychemical Factory in Shaketown. For the tour, they are hosted by the vessel's chief operating officer, Lal Grelic and her husband, Gord. Meanwhile, Kanan and Hera sneak into the factory in Okadaya's hover bus, disguised as factory workers. Hera slips inside while Kanan waits outside as a guard. Skelly infiltrates the factory through the sewers and considers whether or not he should approach Vidian in the open, as he still believes Vidian will accept his data and save Cinda. However, Skelly is quickly spotted by Vidian, who tells him to come out. At this point, it seems Skelly wouldn't understand Vidian sees him as a threat if he was to beat him over the head with it, which is ironic, as after handing over his research disk. Vidian viciously beats Skelly for interfering with uh, Sidna's Thoralide output. Sloane and her stormtroopers attempt to apprehend Scully, but he manages to flee onto a conveyor belt system. Following Skelly's escape, Kanan notices the commotion in Moonglow and attempts to in- jump the fence to the factory to save Hera. However, he is immediately spotted and detained by Sloane who also recognizes him as the shuttle pilot attempting to hit on her earlier on. After learning from Baron Lerodanth that the Empire expects him to triple Sidna's thorolite output, an irritated Vidian callously murders Laogrelik by throwing her into a bath of xenoboric acid. Desiring to increase production, Vidian dismisses Skelly's warning. Hera witnesses Vidian in the act of murdering Lau and informs her husband, Gord, that Vidian murdered his wife. Initially disbelieving the rebel, Gord changes his mind when he sees the security monitor showing the scene playing out. Later, Hera escapes Moonglow and manages to convince Captain Sloane to release Kanan by presenting him his missing ID card. Vidian and his entourage prepare to depart on their shuttle, however... It is destroyed by a bomb planted by a now-wrathful Skelly. Vidian and Sloane survive the explosion, but several of the stormtroopers are killed. Following the blast, a vengeful Gord attempts to detain Vidian for murdering his wife, but is beaten up by several of the surviving stormtroopers. Vidian decides to commandeer the hover bus Kanan and Hera arrived on in order to reach the spaceport in high ground. Kanan and Hera commandeer a nearby hover truck and follow Vidian, with Kanan determined to get Okadaya's bus back, and Hera still wanting to know why Vidian came to Moonglow, as she suspects that Vidian is up to something. Skelly also follows on a stolen speeder bike. At the spaceport, Vidian prepares to leave on the Lambda Shuttle Cudgel for Sloan Star Destroyer ultimatum. Before he can leave, Skelly destroys the shuttle with an explosive. Kanan and Hera arrive at the spaceport, vol- followed by a vengeful Gord. Vidian spots Kanan and Hera as they try to steal back the Hoverbus and orders them to surrender. However, they are very far away from him at this point, so he doesn't quite know who they are. The two try to escape with when Gord attacks Vidian. However, Skelly hijacks the Hoverbus and, panicking while not knowing how the Hoverbus works almost kills Hera and Kanan, and also manages to hit Gord with the bus, which allows Vidian to charge the basilisk and kill him. After killing Gord, Vidian reprimands Captain Sloane for the poor security arrangements and issues an alert for Skelly and his companions, revealing that while he knows Skelly, he indeed hasn't identified Kanan or Hera. He emphasizes that the former is to be shot, while the latter are to be brought to him. Kanan, Hera, and Skelly escape the spaceport on their stolen hover bus, pursued by several Imperial troop transports and two TIE fighters. Following a wild pursuit through the streets of Gore City, the rebels manage to lose their Imperial pursuers and dump the wrecked bus in the pits. A series of massive dumping grounds for the planets. After landing the hover bus in a quarry within the pits, they find that Zaluna has accidentally stowed a board in the bus's toilet where she tried to escape Imperial patrols the previous night. Due to the bus's thick door, Zuluna was unable to call for help. Kanan and Hera strike up an alliance to stop Count Vidian, while Zaluna reluctantly agrees to help as she wants to stop the Empire. The group also reluctantly adds Skelly to their ranks, which probably won't be a mistake, I swear. Meanwhile, Vidian and Sloane depart on a third shuttle, Bastinod. The Imperials are shamefaced by the loss of their transports, TIE fighters, and their quarry. With the help of Zaluna, the fugitives make their way back to the safe house at the asteroid belt, though Kanan does not tell Okadae he is hiding them. During a private meeting, Hera tells her newfound allies that it is better for opponents of the Empire to work together rather than staging lone wolf attacks on them. Zaluna's decision to aid the Rebels is further promoted by the news that her entire team at Transcept Media Solutions has been suspended due to their ties to Heto. The Rebels also examine a surveillance device that Zaluna had located on the Hoverbus and learn that Vidian is planning to blow up Cinda in order to mine the moon's Thor light reserves, a plan that he got from reading Skelly's disk. The rebels quickly realized that this was why Vidian had left Moon Glow abruptly. Vidian had used Skelly's research on the Moon's brittle surface as an inspiration for his scheme to meet the Empire's new Thorolide quota. Meanwhile, using Skelly's information, Count Vidian, along with Research Lieutenant Deltic and Captain Sloan, discussed their plans to blow up Cinda using Beradium bar- 357 explosives. Sloan fears that the- destroying the Moon would cause the brittle thoralide molecules to dissolve. But Vidian tells her that this is not the case and is determined to proceed with his plans for reasons which he has not fully disclosed. The following day, the Imperials detonate the area of Cinda, where mining operations had been occurring. The explosion is witnessed by many in Gore City, including Kanan and his companions. Seeking to stop Count Vidian, the rebels travel on Kanan's cargo hauler expedient to Cinda. Upon landing on Cinda, they find a dying Okadiah at the site of the explosion. Kanan comforts Okadiah in his last moments, then he and Hera erect a gravesite for the mining chief. The two then head back, with Kanan now determined to stop the Empire. Back aboard the ultimatum, Count Vidian expresses delight at the successful test bombing, Having received a report from the mining expert Lemuel Tharsa that 97% of the Thoralide molecules in the test zone remained intact. He decides to proceed with his plan to destroy Cinda. Tharsa also claimed that Cinda would have enough Thoralide for the next 2,000 years. However, Sloan is skeptical of the report and suspicious of this Lemuel. Vidian is also unperturbed that the test bombing had killed many of the mining personnel, and justifies his decision to sacrifice their lives to maintain the secrecy of his project. Vidian attempts to assure Sloane's loyalty by telling her that he can make her permanent captain of the Ultimatum, a promotion that Sloane desperately wants. Count Vidian seems to wholeheartedly believe his plan will cause him to profit greatly while simultaneously destroying his rival dance. Imperial forces impose restrictions on space traffic in the Gore system to facilitate Vidian's plan and order all empty mining cargo ships to follow the ultimatum to the Kalkoron system. To hide Vidian's true agenda, Imperial HoloNet reported that Vidian was trying to stabilize the moon. After hearing the report, Skelly and Hera realized that Kalkoron is a major Imperial supply base in the sector, and that Vidian plans to import a large quantity of Boradium 357 into the gore system. The four rebels decide to travel to the Imperial Depot on Calcaron to stop Vidian's plot. Phase 3. Detonation. Despite her personal misgivings about the ethics of Count Vidian's plan, Captain Sloane still facilitates the marshalling of the mining fleet to the Calcaron Depot where massive stocks of beradium 357 reserves await them. While watching Vidian's staff prepare his personal behemoth of a mining cruiser, the Forager, for the operation, Sloane is briefed by the Imperial Science Officer Lieutenant Deltic, who theorized that the destruction of Cinda would cause debris to fall down on Gorse. Later, Sloane is contacted by Baron Danth, who, while unaware of Vidian's project, knows that something is happening. He tells her to contact him if she has... The smallest need. A veiled warning about the count. Meanwhile, Kanan and the rebels follow the mining fleet to the Calcaron system. Upon arriving, Kanan learns that his ship expedient has been renamed Imperial Provisional 72. Shortly later, Zaluna reveals that the Imperial authorities have blamed Moonglow Polychemical for the blast on Cinda and dissolved the company. As they approach the depot, Hera tells them to load the ship while she destroys the station. Kanan convinces her not to follow that plan and to instead come up with another plan to sabotage the data results in order to deter the Empire from ever considering to destroy Cinda. The Rebels then don hazmat suits to enter the facility as Baradium 357 can cause mental bouts of insanity if its stabilizing components leak. On Calcoron Depot... Captain Sloan accompanies Count Vidian on a tour of the station. As they go on the tour, they come across several heat-proof mining droids from Baron Danth's firm being reverse-engineered. Vidian claims that they are being checked for maintenance, though Sloan is suspicious. Vidian then departs on the pretext of finalizing his report to the Emperor. In Vidian's absence, Kanan and his comrades shove a droid into a loading tube to cause a distraction. Attempting to find the terminal containing Vidian's report, the rebel infiltrators end up under Count Vidian's med lab. In private, Vidian reflects on his origins as a safety inspector for a mining company. After contracting a degenerative degenerative flesh disease that had destroyed his body, Vidian had spent two years bedridden until he was able to play the stock markets and increase his fortune to an insane degree. After being rebuilt as a cyborg with his winnings, Vidian had taken revenge on the mining companies by writing reports that discouraged surface mining on Gorse and many other worlds. Knowing the Emperor's fascination with creating world-destroying weapons, Vidian wanted to use Sidna's destruction as a case study for future Imperial projects. Vidian then notices Hera and Kanan in the med lab with his advanced biometrics. The pair attempt to subdue Vidian to stop him from alerting the Empire, However, it is revealed that Vidian is immune to blaster fire, his body being built with cortosis as a safety measure. Vidian recognizes Kanan as the gunslinger from Cinda and attempts to initiate a live dissection of the two for fun, calling up an interrogator droid to immobilize Hera and Kanan. Before he can torture them, the Count is attacked by his own interrogator droid, which had been reprogrammed by and Zaluna. Vidian destroys the droid, before succumbing to the tranquilizer it was carrying. After downloading Vidian's brain into a nearby computer console, the rebels discover that Vidian's true reason for wanting to destroy Goris was to disintegrate the moon's thorolite reserves. This was part of an elaborate plot to discredit his rival Baron Dant and gain favor with the Emperor, as Vidian planned to hand over Cinda to Dant after the moon was destroyed, but before the thorolite had decayed. He then planned to swoop in with the revelation that Gorse's unworkable side had thor reserves in massive numbers, and his new and improved heat-resistant droids would be able to mine it, which is why Sloane had seen workers reverse-engineering them in the first place. The rebels discovered that Vidian's true name is Lemuel Tharsa, and that he had doctored false reports while pretending that Tharsa was a separate individual. In order to expose Vidian's deception, the Rebels decided that they had to send a correct report about Sidna to the Emperor. Mimicking Vidian's voice, Kanan manages to lure Captain Sloan into the Count's med lab. After restraining Sloan with a stasis beam, Kanan claims to be an Imperial agent and tells her to send a correct report on Sidna to the Emperor, using the communication facilities on her Star Destroyer. Having completed their mission, the Rebels escape on the Expedient to return to Gorse in order to warn the people of the impending Cataclysm. After freeing herself and the Count, Sloane informs him about the Emperor's agent. While now aware of Vidian's true agenda, Sloane seems to not fully believe Kanan, and she complies with Vidian's orders to dispatch Ultimatum and other Imperial forces to the Gorse system to stop the rebels. In return, and as thanks for his rescue, Vidian tells Sloane she will be awarded permanent command of the Ultimatum, which seems to steal Sloane's loyalty to the cause. Meanwhile, aboard the expedient, Kanan and Hera attend to Skelly's injuries, which he sustained during the earlier fight with Vidian on Gorse. Despite Kanan's growing rapport with Hera, he does not trust her enough to disclose his Jedi past to her. Zaluna has a small crisis of faith and wonders if it's too late to turn her friends in and return to her old life. However, she tells herself she'd just be living a lie and might still die for knowing too much. She tells Hera she is committed to see their cause through to the end. Upon arriving above Sidna, the rebels find that Count Vidian's plan is in full swing. Teams are drilling holes into the moon with xenoboric acid to create proper areas for the explosive charges. A short time later, Vidian's ship Forager arrives to begin the destruction of the moon. To disrupt the operation, Kanan uses the ship's intercom to pretend he has contracted temporary insanity from a beradium leak, and threatens to kill everyone in the convoy. At Kanan's instruction, Hera uses the expedient to harass the TIE fighters, escorting the mining convoy. After a brief dogfight and pursuit, the rebels charge Vidian's mining cruiser, the Forager, and manage to land in the rear hangar bay. Skelly has brought a bag of improvised explosives, with which he intends to kill Vidian and destroy his ship, but Kanan makes him leave it on the freighter, not trusting him. The rebels fight their way through the ship's factory complex, though in the process, Skelly's injuries overwhelm him and he falls from a ladder, presumably to his death. The remaining rebels manage to make their way to the bridge to confront Vidian. Meanwhile, Captain Sloane attempts to aid Vidian, but is told by the Count to continue supervising the Sidna operation. As she attempts to find a course of action, she receives a priority one message from the Emperor himself. Despite the intruders aboard his ship, Count Vidian is adamant in proceeding with the detonation of the explosives and destruction of Sidna. While trying to tamper with the ship's security systems, Zaluna is spotted and attacked by Vidian. Seeing Zaluna hurt, Kanan attempts to fight Vidian. Zaluna attempts to shoot the cyborg, but Vidian crushes the weapon, detonating its power pack, burning him and blinding Zaluna. Hera then enters the fray and manages to turn the tables by charging into the room with a hover forklift. Despite the setback, Vidian defeats the rebels and seems unperturbed as the detonations are only four minutes away. Aboard the ultimatum, it is revealed that Sloan looked into Vidian's plan and discovered his scheme to destroy Sidna and its Thoralide reserves was part of a plot to discredit Baron Danf. She also learned that he would frame her and her crew for for sloppy work. She also discovered that Vidian had defrauded the people of Gorse by concealing reports of Thoralide on the planet's heat side. Revealing this to the Emperor, Sloane is contacted by him and ordered to stop Vidian's plan and preserve the Thoralide by any means necessary. Vowing to stop the Count, she orders her crew to rescind the detonation control link to Forager and gives orders for her stormtroopers to arrest Count Vidian. She charges the Count with presenting false testimony to the Emperor and attempting to destroy strategic assets. Unperturbed, Vidian reveals that he has one card left in his sleeve. His ship forager alone has control of the detonation. Before his crew could restore the uplink, Sloane orders her stormtroopers to kill Vidian's ship crew. As the ultimatum and other Imperial ships begin bombarding the Forager, a three-way battle erupts aboard the bridge between Vidian, the Rebels, and Sloan Stormtroopers. As the ship begins to take damage from the Imperial bombardment, Kanan and the Rebels attempt to escape. However, the structure of the ship begins to fall apart, and he is forced to save Hera from a falling catwalk by using the Force to halt it. Afterwards, however, he cautions her not to tell anyone about his powers. Together, Kanan, Hera, and Zaluna escape the doomed vessel in an escape pod. Meanwhile, a badly damaged Vidian manages to escape the bridge and make it to the shuttle the rebels used to enter Forager. A wounded Skelly catches Vidian on the ramp of the shuttle and mocks him before detonating his bag of explosives, killing the both of them. The ensuing explosion destroys the Forager and anything around it. Kanan and his rebel comrades narrowly manage to avoid the explosion. Through the Force, Cannon senses that Skelly had triggered the explosion and died killing Vidian. Their escape pod descends into Gorse's atmosphere. Epilogue. Following the death of Count Vidian, the Empire covered up the events in the Gorse system by claiming that Vidian had died from a relapse of Shilmer's Syndrome. Meanwhile, Baron Danth was granted oversight of the Gorse system and immediately commenced mining operations on Gorse's dayside using heat-resistant drones. Sloane reflects on her encounter with the mysterious agent of the Emperor known as Kanan and wonders whether he was a rival to Vidian, never realizing that he was a Jedi or a fledgling rebel. Due to her effort to stop Vidian, Sloane's promotion to commander of the ultimatum is honored by the Emperor and she begins working with Baron Danth for the betterment of the Empire. Meanwhile, a blinded Zaluna starts a new life on an agrarian world, we're not sure which, with the help of Hera and Kanan. After dropping off Zaluna, Kanan reflects that Hera never asked more about his Jedi past, which he is grateful for. Hera, in turn, reflects that she's not sure if Kanan is a full Jedi or just a person who knows how to use the Force, but she wants to let him decide whether or not to trust her with his past. The two rebels decide to continue their adventures together aboard Hera's ship, the Ghost. All right, so that is a synopsis of the novel A New Dawn. And now we'll go into the more uh, general discussion about it. So what do you guys think about A New Dawn?
0: Damn it, Skelly! (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. And Out of all three of us, one of the things we all share in common is we all hate Skelly. I mean, how could you not?
0: I mean, he did kill he Vidian. Is, he did kill Vidian. Otherwise, he would have lived.
1: The, he, That's that not is, even a saving grace. It's not. I am no. sorry. They no, could have not. done it another way. It was
0: funny, though. There Skelly, Skelly played a part. He played a part that was integral to screwing up everything, yes. but at the same time setting into motion the events that allowed it to not be continued. By Vidian
2: yeah yeah we we didn't go over it too much in the synopsis but l- I think what every single action that Skelly takes ends up co- like just screwing over Hera or Kanan or Orkadiah or Gord he killed he literally kills someone because he hits them with a bus yep <laughs> yep and then that lets
1: Vidian kill Gord
2: like as soon as I heard that part I was like all right because you like Gord after that
1: part right and you're yeah, like, it's not a bad. Yeah, guy. Gord and yeah,
0: it, it, I love them. I love everybody that was like working and Okadaia and everybody like that. All the yeah. ma- minor characters were really cool. I enjoyed them. Mm. Um, and Scully killed them. Yeah, yeah. So they, it, it, uh... yeah,
2: it's it's basically how dare you? You care about the fact that your wife was killed? I want to save a planet, so I'm gonna hit you with a bus.
0: <laughs> right.
2: It's uh, he's just yeah, he's awful.
0: On another note, though. Uh, this was a pretty cool introduction to Canon and Hera meeting mm-hmm. and kind of giving them a start off of where they met, how they met and then how they kind of fell in together as a as a, a duo of, of rebellious people, I guess. And uh it, I I thought it was really cool. Like I would definitely love to see this animated. Like oh, yeah. the entire like yeah. mission of saving Gorse.
1: This is a series <laughs> or just like a movie would be great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean,
1: we'd have to put up with Skelly, but...
0: Or even, like, a few episodes of, like, a Rebels-type series. Like, a Mm -hmm. a prequel kind of thing. That'd be kind of cool.
1: Even that, yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, I... Go ahead. Oh,
2: I I ended up um, listening to the audiobook for this one. And in it, the guy, uh, the narrator, I think Mark Thompson, does an excellent job thing yeah man he also he
0: also gives skelly the most
2: annoying voice i've ever heard well he kind of talks like this the whole time
0: that's actually not bad that's a good impression (laughs) thank you
2: and he never shuts up and yeah the thing that blows my mind is he's always like oh they're gonna congratulate me they're gonna see i did good work and i'm like it's the it's the empire
1: yeah (laughs) like you have to be some kind of blind yeah to 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 not figure out okay they probably don't care and they'll just find another world to do this on anyway once it's gone. He does
0: have good intentions, and, yeah. but he just goes about it the wrong way. Exa- and and how he's, old
1: is this guy? Like 50 probably, packs a day, kind of old, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: And and he's he's so like. I don't know, because it even gets to the point where he, he, he's very delusional because it gets to the point where he sees the stormtroopers are coming after him. He knows they're trying to kill him. And he still is like, but Vidian will believe me.
0: Because he thinks yeah, that he thinks the same way as him. He's That's trying why to yeah. out, like,
1: oh, I'll just walk right up to him. He's ignorant like, of his nobody... own stupidity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, nobody, nobody thinks this guy is so bad. I'm just going to walk up and say my piece. It's like,
0: yeah. This
1: is basically pre Vader, and you want to pull that right now? Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> sure. Um, talking about Vidian, as a villain, I really enjoyed him. He's like a cyborg, mostly cyborg than man and like he's always his photoreceptors for his eyes are always on he has like zero pain receptors cortosis mm-hmm. um covering his body mm-hmm. which is the first yeah, cortosis. time we have COTORSIS back into the new canon mm-hmm. which is kind of cool i mean that's the stuff that blocks blasters and lightsabers yeah it's one of the like
2: what three lightsaber not materials is prick metal still canon i don't think so i no, guess it must-
0: it's not just oh, okay. Besker and uh, Cortosis.
2: Okay, because I know the, the... Actually, I'm surprised they're not canon because they were the, the things the Magna Guards used, I think.
0: If if, it, they if, to... if, it, if it's part of them, then it would be, but it hasn't been mentioned. But... That's fair.
1: Yeah. They don't know how to write it in yet or plug it in. This is yeah, all... canon all it could be a
0: Grievous novel. You never know. <laughs> That's true. It's also got a very unfortunate name. Yeah. yeah. Um, and For then I we mean, have...
1: P-H-R-I-K-K, folks.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh we have sloan um and what was her rank in this book again
1: commander no she got promoted to commander yeah okay she becomes commander by the end she's Captain. temporary commander. this is the,
0: uh, yeah. like the initial one of the initial um see like the the initial character beginnings of sloan and her her imperial career um mm. she is i'm not gonna say exactly what happens later on in in the future of canon but basically, she just she excels at her role in the Empire and she climbs the ladder quite quickly. So it's really interesting to see her as um, a commander and I guess before that, uh, even lower rank in the Imperial um, military or Navy, I guess. But I, I just thought it was interesting that she worked alongside such a, um, how do you describe Vidian, such a careless uh, worker. Like a, a careless leader, you know? It, um, yeah, it's, it's well,
1: interesting to see her adapt to that brand of callousness. See, this is where, like, the next thing I want to talk about comes in with the uh, the ultimatum itself, like the ship itself. Like, Imperial ships and the life on them for everything that you see in novels and movies and stuff, it's like, it's a symbol of something. And when she has to decide, you know, you know is it Vidian or is it the Empire? Like, is it the ship, the ultimatum? Mm-hmm. Her commander didn't even come first. It was the actual ship itself, and everything it has, to, and everything it symbolizes with the Empire was like, "No, this is what I believe in. This is what I'm gonna do." Mm-hmm. So, like the pre- the ship alone was, I think, a huge factor as well. That daunting thing that he came in on, that the that the rebels themselves had to infiltrate. Skelly getting involved with the <laughs> ultimatum, and and just in general the. The ship itself plays such a huge role in the story as to what at least one of the sides is fighting for and what they believe in and then the symbol of why we can't let you know the empire have their way for the rebels
2: mm-hmm. and they, they do a really good job of, of setting up the star destroyer's power because when when they first introduce the forager you get this huge description of like how amazing it is and how um how incredibly difficult it would be to hurt it because it's got these super powerful shields and you know because it's supposed to be it's supposed to be used to mine through planets so the shields are stupidly powerful and it's got all these point defense systems and it's like its own monstrosity and the ultimatum just sh- rips into it yeah because the, the forager is like
0: a space station is it not yeah it's it's, it's like a multi a ship. sorry yeah
2: no no worries it, yeah you're no you' right it is it's described as a ship but like a very it's almost like an ungodly like frigate or like a an ungodly cruiser like it's a okay. giant moving monster i think i uh, i
0: pictured it as a different kind of system um that just could have been me not reading the description of it very well um but yeah the forger was an interesting ship to kind of introduce into the universe you know mm-hmm
2: Oh yeah, and and I, the the scene that always hits me is when they're talking about all the turbo lasers just firing and just Destroy. decimating. Yeah, and it, it always brings me back to rebels when they're sieging Adelon and just goes... Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh but, my god! Yeah. And then
1: Thrawn's just like, "Yeah, fire on!" Or when yeah. he's at uh, Lothal and he's like, "Fire on the city!" Yeah. And yeah. it's just like a barrage of green. And it's like, oh yeah, you see that coming? It's death. Yeah, and
2: you you can really tell how terrifying these things are supposed to be. Because I mean, as great as as Star Destroyers are, I mean, what are their contributions during the main three movies? It's shooting showing out... up
1: and looking menacing.
2: Yeah, right. It's shooting at a blockade runner, but it doesn't destroy anything. Um, it's appearing over Hoth and getting ioned,
1: <laughs> crashing into the Death Star.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, the biggest one crashing into the Death Star and then getting shorn in half during. Uh... Oh,
1: let's not even talk. Oh <laughs> my god.
2: Although I will counter that by saying um, when the Chimera shows up. Oh. Oh, not the Chimera, sorry. Um, f- uh, the, When the execution or when Vader's ship shows up in Rogue One and just it just smashes into that cruiser or into that transport and doesn't even care. Yeah, it's just like, oh, hi, yeah.
0: what are you doing here? That was yeah, an amazing, I just, oh, no, an amazing like, part.
2: I think we oh, hit something. Yeah, we hit a road bump. All right, now kill everything. <laughs> that, that part was like, oh, boy. Yeah,
0: especially because,
1: like, we're all gonna do this. We're gonna get away. We're gonna boom. You're dead. Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That part was glorious.
0: Is there any other parts of the uh, novel that you guys really enjoyed or didn't enjoy?
1: Well, I mean, you got it with um, Haynen, uh, Kanan. Wow, yeah, no, <laughs> Hera and Kanan. You, you. You just invent. no, I didn't. No, I don't I didn't, know. I don't know what their. I don't, don't, I don't, what sh- I don't know don't what don't shipping one. name is, but I think you just invented it.
2: Kanan or <laughs> Kara, Both of those sound weird.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. But, yeah, the the development of, like, okay, like you said, how they met. And then you can see, like, Kanan from the start is just like, okay, cute girl doing a thing. I want to do a thing, too. I had no problem. Actually, I was just going to leave and Mm -hmm. start over somewhere else because, you know, force Powers and me don't want them. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, oh, girl says going to do something. Let's impress girl a little bit. Let's do that.
2: Yeah, uh, Ed, Ed wrote down as a note, uh, Hera, Kanan's kryptonite, and I think that is very appropriate for this. Uh, He's
0: this like, book. I don't know what I should do, but I really like you, so yeah, sure. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, like there's some parts where Skelly's like, hey, like hey,
0: Kanan, can I use your pass? No, Skelly, get lost.
2: And then Hera's like, can I use your pass? Yeah, sure, here you go.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I know you're not crazy. Even yeah. though I just met you, <laughs> and they met in a back alley, wasn't it? Um, yeah. She was wearing a cloak, yeah, and then she like fight. jumps him. Yeah. She she gets jumped by some people or something, and then uh, he comes around, and she kicks all their asses. Some mm. tree like judo. Yo.
2: Yeah, and and Cannon helps and gets thrown into a bar, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like they 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 start off with a very kind of stereotypical dynamic where it's the very much like. The guy's all, all goo-goo-eyes for, for the girl, and Hera's just like, oh, God, it's this guy. I have a job to do. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, guy. Let's think of something besides your pants. Um, but then it's cool because you get to see Hera's determination kind of bring Kanan out of the darkness that he's always been in.
0: Yeah, and that's um, the and initial have... start of them becoming what they do and how important they are to the Rebel Alliance, mm-hmm. eventually.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, by the end of it, Kanan is it's really... It's really neat because by the end of it, Kanan has had that huge character arc.
0: Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, now, what do you guys think of Zaluna? The uh, tech kind of surveillance lady.
1: Again, with her, it's just like another... Like, I had a series of unfortunate events with Skelly, and that's in the entire <laughs> book. <laughs> but she is the truest thing to that. Where it's like, listen, you go to your... Think of it. You go to your job one day, you, you're doing your regular thing, and all of a sudden, problems. And Mm -hmm. things that you should be able to solve without any issue, something keeps popping up and piling up. And before you know it, you're just being dragged along for a ride. It's
0: it's the character you can relate to.
1: Exactly. And then you stop for a minute. You're just like, what am I even doing here? Like she has that moment where she's like, I just turn them in right now and just go back to my desk kind of thing. And it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, so go do it then. Yeah. Oh, yes. sorry. Keep going. Yeah. And then now it's just like, well, what do we have at the end of this? Well, you know they stopped all the bad stuff but you lost your job you're now blind you don't have anything they got all the stuff out of this they're gonna go keep fighting for the empire Mm. oh yeah i'm gonna go on to this agrarian world and just yeah i'm gonna start a life it's like really
0: i mean after after all that stuff with vidian though i i would probably be doing the same thing if i were her Mm. (laughs) she's like i'm done with tech yeah i'm just done with tech
1: but start a new life on a planet that you can't see because you're blind. You're on your own. Oh yeah, she yeah. was blinded. Yeah, it's like, yeah. well, uh, what are you gonna set up with? I understand this is the Star Wars world, but come on. I mean, she blind. could.
0: She could eventually get photoreceptors like drilled into her skull.
1: Uh, you know how big Celestine's eyes are. Yeah, yeah that's she, true. She does, That'd be
0: badass she does though. A...
2: <laughs> yeah, bionic Celestine. Yeah, she does mention at one point on that planet that there's like a, a girl from like a nearby town or something that comes by to check on her. Yes. oh, okay. she has yeah, so yeah, so she's not going to be like completely worthless. But uh, going back a bit, yeah, uh, the part I was talking about her crisis scene that that is actually my favorite moment of that character is where they're they're I can't remember what they're doing. Yeah, they're they're going from Calcaron uh, back to uh, Gorse, and she's sitting there like what happened yesterday I was at my job today I'm a t- I'm technically a
0: terrorist exactly yeah
2: and I'm um, yeah, and so she has that the crisis scene where she's like I could turn everyone in maybe the empire would forgive me and I'm like, no that like a lot of people would probably be like, oh that's the moment where
0: she- Skelly Skelly would be like that
2: yeah yeah exactly like well, no, but I, I feel like a lot of people would be like oh, that's the moment where a character was ruined because she died. I was like no that's that's like that's her most I know she's an alien, but that's her most human moment for me. Because I think a lot of people, if you were just a normal person, and then twenty-four hours later you're part of a technically ter- well rebel terrorist group, right? Exactly.
0: Um, You'd have I, that I, I, conflict.
2: He, I mean, you've got a literal man who's just who's blown up like three starfighters, like three shuttles, and like fifty people. So yeah, you're basically part of an extremist group. Yeah, and I think a lot of us would just be like, "Oh my God, how did this happen? How do I get out of it? What like?
0: Yeah, how do how do I save <laughs> myself? Right? Yeah. and that's a discussion yeah. she has with herself, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. I was going to say, going back a little bit, because the one thing when I first uh, listened to this book, the one thing I didn't like with Vidian was I thought he was too over the top, especially with the fact that he kills, like, four people in, like, broad daylight and people see him do it, and uh, he's just like, "Eh, nobody will care, so whatever. Um,
0: For efficiency's sake.
2: Yeah, exactly, right? Like, oh, don't worry, it's for this. Um, And then what I realized was, because I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh, I don't know why they did that, and I thought about it, and I went, oh, because... Vader just kills people left and right and nobody cares.
1: There we go. Mm -hmm. I was like, because I'm going to bring in hate-making contributions to this. Remember how everybody was calling uh, Kylo? And he is, to a certain extent, like a Vader fanboy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I see Vidian as kind of like a fusion of Count Dooku and Vader, and he's trying to be both of them at the same time. But it's like, this this, this facade is... Because he's doing that whole, like, well, it's Count first off so you know he's like aristocrat to some to some degree
0: self-made mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah and the way he walks about like looking down at other people but then being ruthless at some point how vader would be after like sweet talking them or just saying it how it is and then you know like he said killing people in broad daylight and mm-hmm. then he gets those moments where it's like it cracks and like with skelly and she's just, just beating them yeah that was
0: that was brutal <laughs> like, that-
1: oh i'm sorry you mean the best part of the book? Okay, let me let me let me finish. Like that was that was with the whole like yeah I'm just gonna the way it was described. Mm-hmm. I won't lie, I kind of read it over five times, kind oh, of visualize it because I was just like, you know how many times I've already done this? All right, go 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 for it. Yeah, and it's just like yeah, and what, when I read that, and he's making he's making an escape. I'm like, nope, nope, don't let him, don't let him. Like you, you, how badly yeah. have you been beaten? to then still make it away in your crazy decrepit state like that is why is the series of unfortunate events she's unfortunate skelly and not just you know a good to good job vidian kind of thing i i can't even say that because he couldn't finish
0: (laughs) how about the scene with uh vidian killing Gord's wife okay that that was brutal i was just
1: more mad at skelly Mm -hmm. at that point because i didn't have sides i was like okay Vidian's trying to do a thing, the rebels are trying to do a thing, but then just killing the. That almost came out of nowhere for me. Mm-hmm. So I think it was like, you can't be that mad, dude. You can't, oh, you are!
0: Okay. Yeah. Is there any other pieces of information in this book that you guys really enjoyed? Mm. I think that's that's it for me. Um, I do have to say, Mark Thompson did a fantastic job, and the editing crew for the audiobook was awesome as usual. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. If you if you guys haven't listened to any of these Star Wars audiobooks, I would recommend it heavily if you are uh, driving a lot or have a, a decent commute or sitting at a job that you, allows you to listen to something while you're working. Um, it's definitely a great way to pass time um, and they are phenomenal.
2: Audible, please sponsor the podcast. <laughs>
0: Audible. The more, the more
1: free credits, please. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's safe to say we all use Audible for the audiobooks. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, I I would highly recommend it for sure.
2: Uh, I I do have one last thing to point out because I just realized it, which is it is my only gripe with the book, um, which is as much as I love Star Wars and I love the whole world and the universe, I I am not a huge fan of when outside sources of material have to be like. Oh, remember this little thing, or oh, remember this one line in the movies. This is how it all came to be. Um, in some ways, I think that can work, but like sometimes I, I'm not a huge fan of it. So the beginning of New Dawn, when it turns out that the entire reason that Obi Wan sent that message from the Temple to warn all the Jedi not to return,
1: oh yeah, was
2: yeah was given to him by by Kanan or by Caleb at that point. I was not a huge
0: fan of that. Um, so you're saying that, like, you got the idea for the message to do that?
2: Yeah, because... Well, and, and so I, I think it was just the way it was handled, and I don't I don't want to uh, critique the writer because I'm not a professional writer. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. Um, but I felt like it went a little bit too far because I like the fact that he says, can the temple be used to send messages instead of uh, summons? I was like, okay, that, that makes sense.
1: That's a yes-no question.
2: Exactly, right? And I was like... And then he goes... Uh, what do we do if we receive such a message? Message, and I'm like, all right, that also makes sense. You know, he's asking in this is hypothetical, but then it was the last one. It's the what if it's a warning, and I'm like, now we've gone too far.
1: So yeah. how would you ever like? Come on, really, yeah. you don't go from A to B to for, to F exactly. A, That's fair. a B fire like, now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna talk as a professional teacher. Um, mm. in a situation like this, this actually happens in classrooms decently like it's not every day that you get stuff like this but there are times when students ask questions and it leads to more discussion um, and it just kind of creates this kind of more um, uh, enlightened kind of discussion that they have with the teacher um, so I can see that but I, I do agree with you with the, the warning piece um, it is something that kind of came out of the blue like what if it was a message what if it was a warning message mm-hmm. um, I could definitely see if Something happened in like uh, Caleb's life, Canaan, um, recently as a, as a Padawan, or not even a Padawan, he was just a, a youngling, mm-hmm. um, to maybe like something that was urgent enough that he maybe thought like, if someone would have warned me about something, maybe I would have gotten away, like that wouldn't have happened or something. Um, mm-hmm. That could have given him the idea. I'm, I'm just thinking like through his thought process as a character, but yeah, I, I do agree with the, the warning was kind of a little, a touch too much, almost. Yeah. Um, but I, I do like the continuity as they were discussing this, like Obi-Wan and the younglings, um, and Depa Billaba mm-hmm. being there as well, and kind of taking note of Caleb. That yeah. was really interesting. Um, and it does, yeah, like you said, flow into Rebels, where Kanan opens the holocron, and uh, plays a message from Obi-Wan.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and, and then to the offset that um, that little negative I have, the one thing that I really really liked about this book um, is that I believed one hundred percent of the way through that I was reading about Kanan. I was reading about Hera. Like, there are sometimes when I read um, some of the some of the legend stuff or some other uh, fiction that I like to read, where they'll have an established character and the way that they're written, I I I disassociate with it a bit because I don't really believe that's how the character would act. Um, but in this book, 100%. I 100% believe that Kanan is a ex Padawan who desperately doesn't want to get anyone close to his Yeah, life.
0: no, that was well written. Like I, I didn't no no hard time believing that these were the characters that yeah. were being um, presented.
2: Yeah, and I, I think a big part with Kanan as well is that, especially when you when you learn about the life that he's been leading, he's been leading leading a very um, immoral life, right? He's been doing a lot of of stuff he's been uh dating a lot of women breaking all the jedi codes and I, w- I remember reading all this stuff and i was like wow he really reminds
0: me of Cade skywalker um who is in the, oh, the exact same position. big
2: legends yeah oh yeah huge legends but i think dan's seen some of that too
0: that's the um, um that's the uh luke skywalker's grandson isn't it yes uh, yeah. legacy yeah yeah
2: um, but that's the when you meet Cade, it's the same thing. Like he's, he, yeah,
0: you actually now that you think about it, like he doesn't yeah. want anything to do with the Force, that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, this guy Name? Mm. Yeah, he
1: hates
2: he hates that name. He's he's doing Death sticks so that he loses his connection with the Force. Right, and he yeah, yeah.
0: that's actually an interesting connection. I never actually mm-hmm. made that.
2: Yeah, and because that uh, because Cade was my first kind of look at an exiled Jedi. Um, I mean. Obi-Wan and Yoda, I mean, I guess they were my first ones, but you don't really feel that with them because you just kind of see them. You don't see what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, with Cade, I was like, oh, wow, this is like what a guy in this situation would be like, someone who, who isn't being a monk somewhere. He's trying to live in the world, so he'll do the opposite of what a Jedi should. So I thought that was really cool.
0: Let's get into the next piece of literature, which is Star Wars Skywalker Strikes, which is the first volume. In the Star Wars comic series that was released in twenty fifteen, and uh, Noma, do you want to take that away?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, before we start, Skywalker Strikes. Um, I just want to reiterate that if you guys have an interest in the comics and they are good, um, you know, please go out, take a look at them, support uh, Star Wars and you know Disney and all those guys. This synopsis will be for people who either aren't interested at all in reading this book but still want to uh listen to what we have to say and join in the discussion so they're caught up to speed but uh you know 100 percent, you know support the official release stuff help them out because we're not going to get awesome star wars canon stuff with this any other way
0: exactly mm-hmm.
2: and with that let's get into skywalker strikes
0: So this is the, the first six issues of Star Wars that was the new canon release in 2015.
2: At the beginning of Skywalker Strikes, there's a little bit of a prologue. This prologue is taken off of uh, the Wikipedia article for it, but we basically get a little bit of a prologue that says, In the aftermath of the Battle of Yavin between the Galactic Empire and the Rebel Alliance, in which Luke Skywalker destroyed the Death Star, the Rebels use their decisive victory as a catalyst to try to destroy the Empire once and for all. The Empire, meanwhile, wants to use Jabba the Hutt as a weapon supplier and has arranged for an Imperial negotiator to meet with Jabba's Emissary at Weapons Factory Alpha on the moon Cymoon One, part of the Corellian Industrial Cluster. The Emissary's ship was hijacked by the Rebels, however, and they intend to infiltrate the Weapons Factory, the largest in the galaxy and destroy it to deliver another blow to the Imperial War Machine. So we start off with that, with the uh, Rock Oh, no, it's not a Rock, sorry. The, uh, sm- the Hutt transport arriving on Simon 1, where it is authorized to land at the weapons factory, and we meet Imperial Overseer Agadine, who stands ready to, you know, do the traditional greeting with the Emissary. When the ship lands, however, the Emissary reveals himself to be Han Solo, who is claiming to work for Jabba the Hutt. The Imperials confirm his identity and affiliation and also bring up his bounty, which he tries to wave off, but thankfully uh, Agadeen doesn't really care about that. Uh, and he also brings his bodyguards, a uh, disguised Skywalker and Leia, into the factory along with R2-D2. So just in case, he's got Chewbacca standing uh, nearby and as a sniper, having arrived in the Millennium Falcon, which is being watched by C-3PO. And once they get inside the facility, Agadine, the Overseer, explains that there will be no negotiation and that Jabba will be forced to accept the terms that the Empire gives them. And they're supposed to wait for the negotiator to arrive. However, at that point, R2 starts uh, leaking, let's say, uh, a liquid onto the floor and electrocutes it, which takes out the stormtroopers. And as that happens, uh, Luke and Leia reveal themselves and fight the remaining troopers. So we get a little comical scene where they try to get the location of the Power Corps and the Overseer says, Oh, I'm, a, I'm an officer of the Empire. I'd never tell you guys that. And then they point weapons at him and he goes, Oh, that way. So they make their way towards the Power Corps where they plan to destroy both it and the entire facility. And around that point, Han also tells 3PO uh, to give him a status report. And 3PO tells him that he can engage the ship's autopilot once the Rebels are ready to leave. So while this is happening, though, there has to be a spanner in, in the works. So Luke kind of reaches out with the Force and senses a nearby presence. And following that presence, he finds a huge cage that is just full of Imperial slaves, uh, where he's confronted by a guard. So Luke, who, you know, he thinks he's got that Jedi training, he tries to do a Jedi mind trick, and it just doesn't work at all on the guard. He tries to do the exact same one that Obi Wan does on Tatooine and nothing happens. So instead, he copies Obi Wan again and cuts off the guard's hand. Uh, and that allows him to kind of break out the slaves and leave them to the other rebels. And while he's doing that, R2 successfully uh, lowers the safety restraints and solo sets the power cores to overload in 10 minutes. So everything seems to be good. Skywalker returns with the slaves and Han o- orders C3PO to turn on the autopilot so the Falcon can pick them up. Uh, however, Chewbacca interrupts him and says that the Imperial negotiator has just arrived on his shuttle, and unfortunately the negotiator turns out to be Darth Vader. So, you know, they're in a bit of danger now. So Han tells Chewie to stand down and not take a shot at Vader, as he knows if that happens, everyone's going to be on alert and it's going to make things a lot harder. However, Leia orders the opposite and tells him to kill Vader. So Chewie takes the shot doesn't work, Vader deflects it, and Chewbacca keeps trying to take him out, and Vader ends up actually using uh, the stormtroopers that are with him as human shields to just absorb all of the the bowcaster bolts, and uh, eventually just kind of reaches out with a force and collapses the area that that Chewbacca was on, so we're not too sure what happened, Chewie kind of jumps out, looks like he might have survived, Vader tells the entire moon to go on alert, but he also sends a Skywalker. Or Luke, and recognizes him as the man who destroyed the Death Star. So now things are in a bit of a panic, right? So, because they're unable to contact Chewie and the entire factory's on alert, Solo orders C3PO to engage the autopilot to pick the rebels up. However, C3PO tells them that he tried that, and it turns out that the area they landed in is home to the native scavengers, and they've started to dismantle the Falcon. So, the autopilot's not working anymore. Around that same moment, the stormtroopers arrive at the rebels' location, forcing them to try and make a force or force their way out. The rebels enter a hangar housing uh, AT-AT walkers, one of which Solo plans to commandeer in order to get out of the factory before it explodes. As they begin getting into the walker, Leia realizes that Luke's no longer with them, as he is searching for Vader, as he still believes Vader is the man who killed his father. As he is going through the hallways he hears obi-wan's voice speaking to him through the force and as obi-wan tells him to run luke comes face to face with his father's so-called killer and vader is just standing in front of him and he can't get away now so that's how the issue ends at a pretty intense cliffhanger And so with that, we head into issue two, which starts on that same high note. So we get the battle with Vader. So Luke doesn't listen to Obi-Wan's advice. And instead of running from Vader, he decides to stand his ground against the Sith Lord. So Luke angrily tells Vader that he's the man who murdered his father. Um, Vader, on the other hand, completely fails to recognize him. And he just says, I've murdered many fathers. You'll have to be more specific. So that throws Luke into a rage, and he attacks Vader, which goes about as well as you'd expect a pre-Episode 5 Luke versus Vader fight to go. He loses in about two hits. Uh, So yeah, Vader just kind of nonchalantly parries his blows, knocks Luke to the ground, and then, just to add insult to injury, Force pulls the lightsaber to his own hand. And instead of killing Luke, Vader continues to question him, basically saying... Uh, It's saying, who are you? Why are you on Simon one? And the angry Luke then replies that he's the one who, or he was at the death star when Vader murdered Obi-Wan and Vader then kind of mocks Luke by saying that Obi-Wan was a poor example of a Jedi master and stating that if he was a better master, Luke wouldn't have lost so quickly. And although he and Vader then immediately threatens to execute Luke if he doesn't reveal any more information to the Sith Lord. But although he's being threatened with imminent death, uh, Luke refuses. Absolutely, and just basically is like, you know what, kill me. It doesn't matter. And as Vader's about to strike the killing blow, he becomes aware for the first time, of whose weapon he's holding, whose lightsaber, you know, his lightsaber. So, at, thrown off by that, he hesitates just long enough that the, the ceiling collapses, and basically a rogue at-at foot just slams into the ground near them. So, both Luke and Vader are not clear of one another and are completely confused. However, on then elutes... Elutes? I'm sorry. Let's try English words. <laughs> Han then alerts Luke over the intercom that he is attempting to clear a path through the facility, and that he should join with them and the rescued prisoners in following the ADAT out of the facility. Leia, on the other hand, is busy uh, criticizing Han's clumsy piloting of the ADAT, and Han in turn blames that on the ADAT's terrible design. So they continue to banter as they're you know stomping from the facility and causing untold havoc. Uh, However, Vader quickly recovers and orders the stormtroopers to kill all the prisoners and the rebels. In this confusion, Luke is busy asking Obi-Wan for guidance and killing Vader. Doesn't get a response, unfortunately, and he is desperately trying to prevent the prisoners from dying. However, it doesn't really work, and he realizes that it's all in vain, which disheartens him a lot. And seeing Vader easily kind of just slaughtering the prisoners, especially with his own lightsaber, just kind of saps his morale so at the same time r2 is struggling to activate the cannons on the Adat, uh to which leia hopeful hopes and pleads over the intercom for c-3po to arrive in the falcon quickly however 3po is just bungling things up as usual he's just kind of standing there screaming as the locals continue to disassemble the falcon <laughs> and uh
1: sorry no,
2: no, it's, it's pretty standard 3PO stuff. <laughs> it
1: is, really. There's a really
2: good part coming up with 3PO, though. Oh, I know. And so Han points out that he left a blaster in the Falcon, to which 3PO basically just goes, oh, I have a protocol droid, I can't shoot people. And Leia and Han just go, you, you have to. We are not going to get off the planet unless you actually do something. So a hesitant 3PO complies. He grabs a cloak to disguise himself and make himself look more intimidating as well as the blaster pistol and emerges from the Falcon and then immediately politely asks the scavengers to refrain <laughs> from their activities before so good. trying... Oh, it's, it's, it's so creepy, it's it's so, so, it's it's so, so It
0: was well-drawn and well-written, for sure. Oh,
2: yeah. And from there, he politely intimidates them into thinking that he is seriously armed. However, as soon as he pulls out the blaster, he drops it. The cloak falls off. He surrenders, and then just to finish 3PO's epic legacy, the scavenger picks up the gun and just shoots him. <laughs> As 3PO, meanwhile, is going, Oh, what language are you speaking? Is that? And then gets shot.
0: <laughs> so good.
2: So 3PO's being 3PO. Meanwhile, after that lighthearted bit, Vader is just slaughtering his way through the prisoners, just murdering them. With both, you know, Vader with one one lightsaber is bad. Vader with two lightsabers is abandon all hope. It's like Rogue One, but the guys aren't shooting back. So Luke basically starts to despair. He thinks it's all his fault. He shouldn't have done this. Oh, my God, everyone's dying. And he laments to himself that he's not a Jedi. He's just a farm boy with a lightsaber. And as he's kind of lamenting that to himself, he notices that there are a bunch of swoops nearby. And from that, he, go, he kind of remembers, oh, I'm a farm boy who can bullseye womp rats. So he jumps onto one of the speeder bikes and kind of just charges into the Imperial lines, guns blazing. And he manages to impressively wipe out uh, most of the stormtroopers around Vader and then immediately uh, turn, turns around and tries to catch up with the others. So upon seeing his skills, Vader becomes impressed with his flying skills. And at that point, starts to wonder who this guy is. Uh, he doesn't get too long to wonder these things, though, because Han has finally turned his attention to attempting to murder Vader with the Adat by trying to step on him, living out every Battlefront player's dream, basically. So as Han raises the AT-AT's front leg to go down and step on Vader, he's suddenly confused because the leg refuses to go down and crush Vader, and Leia is realizing what's happening and yells that Vader is using the Force to hold the leg in the air. Um, at which point Vader yells... Or- Not Vader, sorry. Han yells, "But the Force isn't real," and Leia retorts, "Tell that to Vader." So at that moment, thankfully, R2 is able to get control of the blaster cannons, and Han just immediately starts firing at Vader, and Vader manages to not get hit by the blasters, but they manage to hit him and hit the sorry, not hit him, but hit the area around him with enough force that he's flung clear and forced to, to, to break his hold on the ADAP, which then turns around and begins to run as fast as it can at a whole, what, five kilometers Two. an hour, may- maybe, if they're lucky. At the same time, they are yelling, both Han and Leia are again yelling at 3PO, what's happening, get the Falcon ready, and we cut back to 3PO, who is uh, reliving his... up his, or. Maybe as a prelude to his episode five days is in pieces being carried off by the scavengers, so you know he's being very helpful right now. So in during all this confusion, basically, the other bright side is that Vader loses his grip on his old lightsaber, which Luke just kind of swings by and yoinks away from him. And as the stormtroopers rush up to to see if Vader's all right, it turns out that his helmet was knocked off during the blast. So one of the first trooper that finds him kind of goes, oh, oh God, I'm so sorry. And Vader just kills him because he doesn't <laughs> want anyone to see this, how scarred he is.
0: And how does he, What's how on? does he kill him?
1: Oh, he just, his neck oh. just goes 180 degrees. It's, it's <laughs> he's very angry. Uh, he, there's Vader brutal. And then there was just, you have seen something you will, n- oh man. Like he, was... didn't, he didn't just
0: force choke oh. him. He just like forced neck break.
1: It was the closest thing to actually ripping somebody's head off that they could probably get away with in the comic book. Yeah, it it is pretty intense. So with all of that anger
2: through him, Vader is not a very happy man. So he's contacted over the intercom by overseer Agadine, who tells him that the core has gone into meltdown, and he basically goes, I have to evacuate the facility. I have to get out of here. And Vader's response is that he either gets the reactor under control or he had better die with the facility. And the Overseer basically goes, okay, uh, yes, it, it will be done, and desperately tries to shut off the reactor. And then from there, Vader orders the remaining stormtroopers to regroup and hunt down the rebels. And that is where we end on issue two. I was
0: just mm-hmm. going to say, with the AT-AT um, in like, or um, so- Solo bringing the foot down and stuff, it's kind of like the mm-hmm. Kanan thing. Um, if you remember Kanan and Ezra fighting against Vader... Mm-hmm. yep
1: they when tried to cr- 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 crush him with it too and yeah he's just, he's but i think they were
0: they were in an atst or some atdp or something yeah they, they, dropped, smaller. Two, they, a- they a- dropped
1: a, a- bunch smaller. of boxes on them or so. oh, yeah they tried to drop yeah. it sideways on him. He was just like nah dude
0: yeah
2: oh yeah you do get that great little line as well but i think allayed a lot of people's fears were Ezra goes. If that doesn't, if that didn't kill him, what will? And Cannon just goes, "Not us."
0: Yeah, we're out of here. <laughs> bye. Yeah, we're not gonna fight him. We're not gonna win. Okay, oh, bye. I miss Rebels. Kanan's still intact. I can be so sad. <laughs> um. All right, you good for issue three? Yep. <laughs>
2: so issue three starts off with the Rebels still clearing the way, while kind of around them and underneath them, more slaves are dying, unfortunately. So. 3PO, who is now, in addition to all of the useful things he's done, having gone blind because his optical receptors have turned off, thankfully gets rescued by Chewie, who shows up and actually manages to do something. Basically knocks away the scavengers, scares them off, and updates Han that he's he's got the situation under control, which is good because at the same time, Han stumbles into a mustering ground of Imperial vehicles, so he basically comes face-to-face with a dozen ATSTs a couple dozen troop transports a whole bunch of tanks and single man combat speeders
0: i just wanted to say that, here too just quickly like those um imperial oh, the tanks? yeah like the imperial um like vehicles they have like they mm. have like separatist style tanks yes uh, they have single man speeders which are interesting because they have like guns on either side of them and they have like a huge cockpit and stuff it was really cool mm-hmm. to see those different designs yeah, yeah, it's
1: inter-
2: it's interesting. The combat speeders remind me a little bit of the, I think the Mark III Jedi Starfighters. They have that same kind of look where the cannons are on either side with little almost wings.
1: Um, and like little. The ETA, the ETA fighters.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and and also like what Dan said, the tanks are all kind of modified AAT uh, Separatist tanks, which yeah. is interesting. And uh, I don't know if we ever see those again, but... That's the first and
0: only time that I remember seeing them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but
2: basically, yeah, as they come into this, all the vehicles just start opening fire on the, on the AT-AT. So Luke kind of sw- swings in on his speeder and takes care of some of the smaller vehicles. But unfortunately, at the same time, Vader shows up again and basically cuts all of the ankle struts off of one of the legs of, of the Adat. at which just takes it down immediately. So in kind of a panic, Han and Leia and the rest of the remaining slaves run out into the trash fields as Luke speeds back to the factory because he has determined everything in the mission's gone south, and as far as he's concerned, it's all his fault. So even though Leia orders him not to go back, he basically speeds back off to the factory to try and complete the mission. Which then lets Vader go off in hot pursuit of, of Luke. However, we cut back to Overseer Agadine, who, and another, because he's just so unfortunate, basically is with his officers and he goes, oh, thank God, we managed to stop the reactor core from melting down, we're saved, Vader's not gonna kill us, and then Luke just speeds by and blows up the reactor. And he's like, gods, no, and dies in the explosion. So typical Imperial officer competency.
0: It was perfect. Just running in with the speeder and go, beep
2: pew, 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 pew. Yeah, and then just
0: the whole thing is
2: emula- Emulating the moves of his, of his father when his father was in the single digits or maybe early double digits of flying into an area, blowing up the power core and flying out. Spinning, that's However, a neat trick.
1: Uh, I was about right. to say,
2: we know he's better than his father
1: because he doesn't try spinning because that's not a cool trick. <laughs> 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 it was just, for a moment, you were like, oh man, the Imperials actually, they actually... Hold something off what you were kind of worried for a second like, they did do the thing huh what are the heroes gonna do uh, okay never mind. whoops there goes plot device luke oh, okay <laughs> the day's saved
2: all in all though at least it ends on a happy note so vader is is forced to basically just watch the falcon fly up in the way he can't really do anything however while it is a happy mood you know they completed their objective and leia tries to cheer up luke by saying oh you did it you saved the day and Luke is, is still not very happy because he does, he's...
0: his. I'm no he, Jedi.
2: Yeah, he's, he says he's no Jedi. He's not anything like Kenobi. He basically, in his eyes, he botched the, the sabotage attempt. He did the exact wrong thing and just went up against Vader and failed miserably. And he let a whole bunch of the slaves die. So he's and not a great...
0: Movie. So marks the point in Luke's life where the Jedi, it's time for them to end. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Anywho
2: Maybe uh, So from there we get a nice little scene change To Tatooine And we get a couple of of, I guess locals Or thugs maybe Going by in a speeder And they're going to uh, Bury a body or dispatch a body somewhere And they're kind of making small talk And they're like oh there's nobody out here What do we need to worry about And as they go by they pass by a house And one of the smugglers goes nobody lives out here what's that house doing here and the other guy goes oh that's old kenobi's hut he's just a crazy wizard who lives in the desert don't worry about him we should be more scared of sand people because you know sand people versus jedi that always goes really well for the sand people (laughs) So (laughs) so from there we cut to the inside of the hut and we basically get a little view of of kenobi's old hut but in the very foreground there's a small box that is marked for Luke and we end right there on that nice little cliffhanger
0: I thought that was really cool just ending on the for Luke and seeing how Ben had something that he wanted to pass on to Luke Mm -hmm. Um, I'm surprised like this wasn't in any of the um, like scripts for the movie or anything like oh there's something back on Tatooine I need to give you or like anything like that like I mean this was made way after the fact but just as like that seems like a very important piece, mm-hmm. um, Which, and it doesn't seem like like Ben's reaching out in the force as a force uh, apparition to just kind of tell him that. Um, even in the comic, right? He's just saying like "run, run away." Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that we get that.
2: The the thing I found a little bit interesting. I mean, obviously it's it's to build up tension. Yes. Yeah. But uh, when he's getting the, those first actual messages from ben there's a whole big line like lead up where ben's going luke you have to listen to me you have to listen to me very closely and then in the panel where luke and vader run into each other he goes run and I, in my head i was going couldn't you have just said luke run right run you, luke you, you run said that. yeah you said that in episode four he got the point across pretty well
0: <laughs> exactly
2: but i get it right you need it for dramatic tension
0: your destiny lies along a different path from mine. The Force will be with you. Always.
2: Speaking of dramatic tension, we got a, a decent amount of dramatic tension in issue four, which starts off with Jabba's Palace. So, kind of looking around Jabba's Palace, seeing ooh, everything. Ooh, ooh,
0: ooh, ooh.
2: Exactly. that's a, that's a that's a really good Java impression. Thank you. And as it turns out, Java's got a guest, and that guest is Darth Vader. So Vader shows up and Java tries to play it off as as um, the how how would you put it, kind of like the kind mafia Don kind of thing where he's like, Oh, what can I do for my esteemed friends in the empire' And Vader just goes, you're giving us your resources. You're letting us do what we want with the resources you have. And Java goes, oh, of course, anything that that a meager man such as I has is open to the Emperor to build as many Star Destroyers as he wants. All I ask in return is that I'm fairly paid. And Vader just goes, you're getting paid what we tell you. You're getting paid.
0: The negotiator at work. Yes. I I would watch a Netflix movie called The Negotiator about Vader negotiating with people.
2: (laughs) Yes, he, he is very, very charismatic when it comes to it. And then in in traditional kind of kind, you know, kind Mafia Dawn style, Jabba goes, oh, it would be a shame, however, if you were raided by pirates while you were taking my resources or attacked by space slugs. And Vader just goes, we're prepared to kill them and everyone associated with them. And just kind of kills, all, like, again, right? Vader, the negotiator, just kills any, any leeway you've got. So he turns to leave, and he goes, yep, yeah, our business is done, I'm leaving now. And Jabba, however, pulls out his last kind of cards and is like, oh no, you're not leaving. We have to celebrate. You need to, I need to, to show you things in return for you strong-arming me into giving up all my materials for some reason. So from there, we kind of cut back to the Rebel fleet. So Han and Chewie are rebuilding the Falcon. 3PO is being assembled. Han's lamenting that he's not even sure what parts are which because of how badly it was disassembled, which is interesting now. You get a little bit more backstory with Solo coming out that it's true he might not know what these pieces are because we're not too sure how early he got the ship, or no, you know how long it's been since he got the ship from Lando.
0: Interesting, too, is um, the ship was so dismantled, but Chewie was able to repair it in such a short period of time, which is nice
1: mm-hmm.
0: to know that Chewie has, like, a... An idea he, he's 190 years old at least so
2: <laughs> yeah that's true and also interestingly i I've, i didn't really think about this till after i read the comic but that also might explain why the falcon looks more run down than other yt-1300s or yt-1300s that come later is because it's been disassembled now although you know when we see it in episode four and luke calls it a hunk of junk it's i was gonna say pristine condition and then i remembered what happened to it in solo so it's in Solo condition.
0: Yeah. It's pretty much a solo condition. Yeah. (laughs) It's like the Chevrolet Cavalier on the outside, but like a Ferrari on the inside. Like where it counts. Mm -hmm. That's the fun thing about the talking It's it's like it's like the guy's first car. It really is. It's
2: like yeah, I was I was gonna say it's like the cars that you said, except they were both driven off a cliff. (laughs) Yeah. And then put back together.
0: It's interesting though, like it is literally Han's first ship the only other mm-hmm. thing he had was in uh, solo and that was a speeder yeah that's right and that's that's in the um, the novelization i'm assuming and in uh, most wanted it is in, in that too he's like building a speeder to try and use it to escape and stuff
1: oh okay which is interesting, interesting. yeah yeah
0: so it's it's his actual first ship which is kind of you get that love for your first ship you know like your first car oh.
2: And it's a good ship, since, you know, you see how long it managed to survive for. Oh, yeah. To oh, yeah. current day, right? Yeah, so while they're repairing the Falcon, Leia is in a meeting with uh, Mon Mothma, General Dodonna, and Admiral Akbar, and she's basically arguing that they need to do more against the Empire, to which the others reply, you know, we've managed to bomb Imperial Army bases, we've disrupted supply routes, we're doing quite a lot, there's not much more we can do. However, Leia insists that she should be able to take her cell and try and inflict more damage on the Empire, to which Mon moth replies, are you sure you're speaking with the voice of everyone in your cell? And at that moment, we then cut to Luke, who's training with the blast shield down on his helmet. And he's doing about as well as he was doing in episode 4. He blocks one or two and then just gets pummeled by these training bolts. So when Leia comes to check up on him, he's just sl- like sliced all the droids in half. And he's like, I don't want to talk. Um, I, and he's, in, he's still in that same kind of despair he was before. So Leia tries to console him and say like, oh, you know, you're doing great. You're becoming a strong Jedi. And looks like, no, I'm not, I'm terrible. I don't know what I'm doing. Obi-Wan didn't really have a chance to train me. I wasn't able to save him. I just let a bunch of people die. What am I doing? And he ends up just getting frustrated and just walks out and doesn't doesn't tell Leia where he's going. Just kind of leaves. And from there, we get a, a immediate cut to a cloaked person who's talking with a bunch of Rodians at looks like outside a cantina. And they're basically threatening her because they're. It sounds like they're all going after the same bounty. So when it, it becomes clear that it's going to come to blows, she or she. I just said who it is, but. Or giving something away, I guess. But she activates a voice-activated turret underneath uh, the table and kneecaps all the Rodians.
0: I love that scene. Oh, it's
2: great. It's just like, well,
0: you can't rob me. Yeah,
2: she's got this great line where she's like, oh, I guess on a backwater like Tatooine, this isn't something you'd expect. But on Nar Shaddaa, they're all the rage. And it's like, oh, okay. So she's clearly a 'er ne'er-do-well, some kind of smuggler or thief. And basically, she takes off one of their hands as well because they're still trying to threaten her after none of them have any knees, and keeps threatening. They keep. Basically, she goes, "All right, this is going nowhere. I'll just kill you guys." And then they're like, "Oh no, no, no! Wait, we didn't know death was coming, even though we're all crippled now." <laughs> <laughs> and, which I thought was kind of weird. You think after the kneecaps, they'd give up? But and
0: the hand exploding. They're
2: Rodian. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, that's true. I guess they're tenacious. Uh, so they basically are like, all right, we'll give you the info. And uh, she's like, all right, tell me everything you know about Han and uh, Chewbacca. So from there, we get a nice little smash cut to Jabba's sail barge as him and his men are reenacting their version of the Old West and shooting at Banthas that are trying to run away.
0: I felt so bad for those Banthas. I was like, Jabba, I hate you so much.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's... Because it's interesting. They talk about, like, entertainment and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay, someone's going to get fed to a Rancor. And then it just turns out they're trophy hunting. I was like, eh, that's kind of... They're not
0: even trophy hunting, though. They're just, like, sh- they're just like taking pot shots of these things. elephant-style mm-hmm. creatures. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, so it's just like, okay, like, sure, but do the, do the evil villain things. Exactly. Um, and so while that's happening, because Vader just doesn't care. <laughs> it's Vader. Why would he care about any of this stuff? In any case, he hates sand. He hates being here, right? Like, we're <laughs> off of in its cores and it gets everywhere.
0: I mean, at least his suit is, like, airtight.
1: <laughs> nah, that's... he'll still find sand in it. I'm um, sure. Through It'll just come in
2: through, through the rebreather.
0: Oh, God. <laughs>
2: so, while that's happening, they have a little talk where Jabba's like, Oh, how are my bounty hunters doing? And Vader's like, "You, I, I told you not to talk about that. And he's like, Oh, we're not talking. We're listening to Banthas die. How's the bounty hunter? So Vader remarks that he hired a Wookiee bounty hunter and another bounty hunter to basically track down Luke. However, he doesn't know that it's Luke. They're basically searching for, he told them to search for the rebel pilot who blew up the Death Star. From there, Vader just goes, just changes the conversation and starts talking about Obi-Wan. Tell me everything you know right now. And Jabba has a little, oh, ha ha. You wouldn't believe how much of a thorn in my side that old wizard was. And kind of rambles on about Kenobi, but doesn't actually tell Vader anything. And it, it ends kind of interestingly where Vader, or Jabba uh, talking to Vader, just says off the cuff like talking about Kenobi and his past and, he, and the fact that Jabba's heard certain stories about him and, and Kenobi and Kenobi's apprentice and goes, oh, who thought that someone of any importance would ever be born on Tatooine or hint, 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 hint <laughs> foreshadow, foreshadow, foreshadow so from there we cut and Luke's in his X-Wing just kind of flying off into space and R2 basically asks him like where are we going because he hasn't said anything yet and Luke just goes like oh I need to, I need to return to my roots and I need to figure out how to become a Jedi so we're going to Tatooine Speaking of Tatooine, we got the Rodians from earlier who are bandaged up and healed, but they're sitting in the exact spot that they were being shot at. <laughs> that's so funny. Like an hour. Stupid Rodians. I get, yeah, I was just like, why? Just uh, what? be in the hospital, man. Just go somewhere. And their day is just going great because they are being held up at gunpoint by someone who is looking for information. And they basically go like, oh, we don't even know who that's like. We don't know. We don't like we don't know anything. It doesn't matter. We don't know who that smuggler was. We they're don't having know
0: a who. Bad day for yeah, sure. Yeah, they're
2: they're just babbling. Like we don't know who she. We don't know who that smuggler was. We don't know who she was. We don't even know who's asking questions. And it cuts back, and the figure goes, "It's Boba Fett asking questions. You'd better answer them."
0: I remember when I saw this the first time when it first came out in 2015, and I saw that I'm like, "Oh, shit. Yeah. I was so excited to see Boba Fett back in the series again.
2: Oh yeah it's you know we're getting to see him
0: do what way, he's doing pre,
2: oh yeah way pre-episode 5 and 6 you know yeah this unfortunately, is unfortunately we, we then get to see oh sorry you're
0: gonna... I was gonna say this is where we see Boba Fett doing his bounty hunting this in the next oh, issue oh that's great
2: the only downside is that unfortunately Boba Fett has picked the fight with a protagonist
0: exactly. so I'll give you
2: three guesses how that's gonna end up but from there
0: that's foreshadowing right
2: there yeah just a just a wee bit So from here, we go to Issue 5. You may take
1: Captain Solo to Jabba the Hut after I have Skywalker. He's no good to me dead.
2: So Issue 5, Luke arrives on Tatooine. And while this is happening, Boba is in the same uh, Mos Eisley Cantina that Luke and Obi-Wan were in in Episode 4. And he's interrogating people around Tatooine for information about the pilot that Vader is looking for. So Boba basically immediately gets into a fight with a giant buffed up six armed alien at massage. The like Goro
0: on steroids.
2: Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, it looks like the odds are stacked against Boba. So in the next page, we find out that he's broken both of the guy's legs and two of his arms and basically just goes like, Oh, who wants to tell me information before I break another arm crack. All right. That's three arms crack. All right, that's forearms, and the bartender basically goes, well, "Boba, none of us know. None of us have any idea. The description of the guy you're looking for, he came in here with, with Kenobi the wizard a while ago, and then they just talked to some guy and left. So as Boba's about to be like, all right, this was worthless, there's one of the patrons of the cantina gets spooked and runs away, and Boba just immediately turns around, fires his whipcord, takes him down, And the boy goes, like, I don't know anything. I didn't see anything. And Boba goes, you knew enough to run. So let's start from there. And then we get a nice cut to the outside of the cantina, as you can hear screaming from, presumably from the guy he just took down. So from there, we get a transition to the rebel fleet. And we get a little scene between Han and Leia, where Han is asking for parts to repair the Falcon after their mission. So Leia instead asks Han to go on another mission with her, and Han reluctantly agrees for scoundrelly purposes. Me and Leia alone? Oh yeah, what could possibly happen? So we, from there we go back to Tatooine. Boba Fett is, has, the, has the boy kind of just strapped to a table and is just asking for information, which is basically torturing. I mean, he's torturing the guy.
0: And the funny thing so, is Like this is taking place All in the Mos Eisley Cantina On that table That the kid was sitting yeah. Right beside
2: Oh yeah business as usual No one's paying attention They like all just drink Yeah it That's looks
0: initially Like it's like a room That he has That he's interrogating him in But it turns out to be you No know, it's He's just interrogating him In the cantina Right in front of Everybody else
2: Yep Well I mean This is the same cantina Where you can cut off A man's hand And then just go back To drinking So And Fair then enough. Fair enough Shoot Shoot a Rodian And then just say Oh sorry bartender Here's some money. Toss him out in the street, please. Eh, I mean it's the outer room. What do you expect, I guess? So he actually he gets the information, the boy spills it all. He says, Oh, it's Luke Skywalker, his name is Luke Skywalker. We used to call him Wormy He was some, you know, idiot kid with high dreams and ambitions. And I guess I'm a bully. And Boba's like, Oh, thanks for the info and then just shoots him. Doesn't pay him like does Han- doesn't pay the bartender like uh, Honda just shoots him and is like, Alright, time to go find this guy now. So we cut that then to Luke and R2, who have gone back to Ben's hut. Unfortunately, he's being raided by Sand People. So Luke then proceeds to continue his father's legacy of mercilessly beating Sand People. However, thankfully, he doesn't kill any of them. He basically just breaks their weapons, screams at them, and they run away. Maybe seeing a blue lightsaber go going off gave the, the Sand People PTSD. I'm not too sure, but...
0: It is the same lightsaber, actually.
2: Oh, yeah, the exact same, right? Although I don't know if Anakin left any of them alive, so... It could be a
0: different band, yeah. It's true.
2: So at the, he basically fights them off and is then like, all right, let's go let's go into Ben's house. It doesn't look like they actually got in and took anything. So we then switch to the model sector, where Han and Leia are in a stolen Imperial transport. And Leia says that they're on a scouting mission to find a possible location for the new rebel base. So they have a lot of banter where. This is a fort- ba-
0: sorry. This is a foreshadowing, okay. like the episode five where they're going to Hoth, right? Because that's their mm-hmm. their new rebel base, and then that gets discovered.
2: Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I actually didn't think about that, uh, but yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, and yeah, the, their banter is basically the same as it was in episode four, where the majority of it is Leia trying to convince Han like you should join the rebels. You should be fighting for a cause. You are a good person. Yeah. 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 The scoundrel act's not fooling me and Han's trying to be all flippant and like, oh no, it's all for the money. It's all for, you know, it's all for scoundrel purposes. So while they're bantering, two TIE fighters close in and demand clearance codes. So, Leia transmits the codes basically saying, oh, if there are TIE fighters here, that means there's a Star Destroyer here somewhere. However, Han kind of starts freaking out a little bit so he decides to start evasive maneuvers in an imperial shuttle which it's like evasive maneuvers in a boeing so it's not going to work too well right so the, the ties immediately start firing even though the clearance codes were okay now the ship's trying to do weird evasive maneuvers Surprisingly, Han is able to outmaneuver the tie fighter, go in and he, basically as he's he's outmaneuvering them, he remembers about a place called the Monsua Nebula in this sector. So he takes off flies into the nebula, the ties give up, and a sensor in the nebula beeps as their shuttle passes by. At that same time, we get an unidentified freighter which I think I'd have to double check, but I, I thought you might know it, what model this uh, is. I think it's a YT six hundred, which is one of the oldest models of um, of the YT class. I'll have to double check. Yeah, the oh sorry, it is a. I might be wrong about this, and I apologize if I am, but I think it's a modified YT two thousand light plated because you see it, and it's got its cockpit in the center, and its yeah, cockpit. it
0: looks very similar and to
2: that. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's got that same kind of makeup, but. I think it's a little bit different because I think the cockpit is smaller than it's supposed to be. There are a couple of other variants. It could be 1760 or something like that. I'm not 100% sure. But, uh, yeah, it kind of comes into the system as well. And the person who's looking for Han gets a message from the sensor that he's there, and apparently she knows him because she basically remarks like, oh, of course, an old dog always comes back to his old hunting grounds and just takes off after after them. So from there, we go she.
0: I love how she says that, and she's the one who placed the sensor there.
2: Yeah, I know, right? Like, but it, it is, I guess, she must have known he was going there because she shows up there. Exactly. So from there, we switch over to Tatooine. So as as Luke enters the hut, him and R2 start looking for, you know, whatever stuff of Ben's could help them. However, a concussion grenade lands by his feet, goes off, and absolutely blinds him, so he's laying on the floor, R2's on con- uh, deactivated next to him and basically going, R2, I can't see what's happening as Boba Fett walks in
0: Dun 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 I wonder what'll
2: happen he'll probably help him up in the move so, right <laughs> Issue 6, the final issue
0: uh, Hey, Mr. Solo Solo on the rocks you can't beat me. I'm Boba Fett. I'm the greatest bounty hunter ever. Oh, do, 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 do. oh, yeah. What's that, Solo? Oh, blasters aren't fair? Okay, dig it. No blasters. Oh, oh, I ah, didn't see that one coming, did you? Huh? So slow. Oh, you thought I was over there, but guess what? Ah, oh, over here. Oh, yeah. A ah, little rope and little rope and dump huh? I left, right, left, right. Oh, 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 down goes Solo.
2: So the issue starts off with... Boba basically, he uh, rifle butts Luke and then just goes, I know you can't see, but I've got my blaster pointed at you. You should probably surrender. Luke, however, the stoic Jedi Knight who knows no Jedi training, decides he'll fight back blind. Doesn't really go that well. However, he is able to find his lightsaber, and there's a little line where Boba goes, You're blind. You can't fight me. And Luke goes, A Jedi doesn't need eyes to see. And Boba goes, You're not a Jedi. not yet yeah not yet so from there we kind of switch back to the Monsua nebula so Han and Leia arrive at one of Han's old hiding places and Leia's like how does nobody know about this does anybody know about this and Han tells her that uh, no Chewie and I are the only ones who are aware of it and he's kind of rummaging around and he finds a wine bottle and he goes oh thank god Chewie you didn't drink all of this as Leia's kind of marveling over the place. And uh, he basically then immediately tries to put on the moves and go, hey, princess, have you ever tried Corellian wine?
0: <laughs> At the same time,
2: life. yeah, right. What's the worst that could happen? Meanwhile, the person who's looking for Han, basically the ties the are flying back, and they're like, should we report this? And the guy goes, no, they're crazy. They flew into a nebula. They're going to be dead. It doesn't matter who in the, fl- the, the, the mysterious freighter goes right by them. And they go, hey, stop. You're supposed to give us clearance codes. And the the lady in the shuttle goes, oh, don't worry. I'm just going to be in and out. Don't worry about me. He flies on fast. Apparently, they don't because they don't come after. They, they don't mind anything. They just decide to leave. So at least that's convenient.
0: They don't get so, paid enough. That's the problem. Yeah, exactly,
2: right? And they're in TIE Fighters. Exactly. They're probably going to die if they go back.
0: No shields, nothing. They'll die.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: So we switch back to Ben's hut from here where
2: Luke is just doing his best to just horribly lose his fight against Boba. So Boba kind of gets fed up at at a blind man swinging his lightsaber and basically shoots Luke and just goes, I'm supposed to bring you in alive. Alive doesn't mean you need to be in one piece. And Luke kind of just like brings his his lightsaber up again. He's just like, oh, you're going to have to take me dead. And Boba's like, I'm not getting paid for that. Fires his blaster again. Luke manages to actually deflect the bolt, though. And in that moment of, oh my god, he did it, Boba football tackles him by activating his jetpack, just slams into him. As this is happening, and they're still fighting, R2 finds the box labeled for Luke. So Luke's struggling with Boba. And he ends up using the Force to, in a move that is, I'm not sure if it's sad.
0: It's it's terrible. I it's did kinda, not enjoy this scene.
2: It's, it's kind of sad. He launches this little box at boba's head and it just clean knocks him out
0: like you think there'd be like some some sort of concussion resistance with the helmet that he has on and the technology that they have but I guess not
2: yeah you and it's it's interesting like luke takes a concussion grenade he takes a rifle butt to the head he takes a blaster shot getting
0: to the arm a bunch yeah of
2: times yeah and getting jetpack tackled by boba and boba takes a small container to the head.
0: I mean, to be up. fair, we don't know what that container is made out of. It could be a very heavy material.
2: True, but with what's in it, not too sure. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that, though. That That isn't this uh, issue. So, Luke and R2 leave with the box and Boba
0: just on the floor. <laughs> oh, God. And it's good to note here that Luke does meet Boba for the first time in Episode 5 and sees him in Episode 5 in Cloud mm. City. He doesn't see him in this because he's blinded so all he knows is what he sounds like oh, I, I thought about that when you were uh, reading through it and I'm like that is an interesting twist to why he doesn't recognize him mm-hmm. so because Boba barely rarely talks in episode 5 if at oh, all yeah that's true and so. he,
2: the, he does, when he talks in episode 5 he's nowhere near Luke exactly that
0: so that's pretty interesting and the only time they have is in that hallway in um, the Cloud City hallway mm-hmm
2: yeah, no, that's true. I, I I actually kind of assumed that he got his eyesight back at some point, but you're right. No, throughout the whole thing, he is blind, so he doesn't actually realize that it's
0: Boba. Right, because he has his hand on R two and he's kind of having R two be an C N I droid. Yeah, he's
2: having R two pull a chopper, basically. Oh, right. uh, rebels! <laughs> Continuing the Jedi tradition.
0: I love rebels.
2: <laughs> so from there, we go back to the Monsua Nebula. So, Leia has thrown the wine in Han's face, and is basically like, "Really." really you're doing this now and han's like oh that one was expensive what are you doing we should do things (laughs) Mm. and as that happens leia's just storming out really angry and they see the ship approaching and as soon as han sees the ship he's like oh no we should run and leia goes what we should run and as he says it the second time they start getting shot at by the ship so it opens fire on them they don't actually run though uh, because it's landing so as it's landing. Han just basically goes like, oh no, why are they here? And Leia goes like, w- who is this? What is happening? Did you lie to me? Is this Chewie? Chewie, you said Chewie was the only one who knew about this place. And as the figure comes down the ramp, she basically says, why are you even listening to him? He's just going to lie about it. That's all he does is lie. So she comes down the ramp, takes off her helmet, and intros- introduces herself as Sana Solo, Han Solo's wife, to which Leia's response is, wife? On Solo's re- response is, oh god.
0: And my response is, whoa?
2: Yeah. Our response is, whoa? And Santa's response is, and who are you? Pointing to Leia. Yeah. So from that shocking revelation, we get back to Tatooine. Luke arrives back at his X Wing and recovers some of the sight finally. He opens the box and finds that inside of it is the journal of Ben Kenobi. Which, which raises, oh yeah. Oh, this a lot is, of interesting
0: questions right and this is an interesting piece because in the um in the series of star wars the comic series um mm-hmm. it, it kind of revisits this as as it goes which is nice Oh,
1: okay
2: interesting yeah it's nice, nice that this kind of ex- will explain how luke was you know slightly more com- competent when he i uh, i was gonna say he uses his lightsaber in episode five but he Basically, before he meets Yoda, I'm now remembering he gets knocked out by a Wampa and then cuts
0: off that Wampa's hand. (laughs) Yeah, that's about the extent of his lightsaber training. Yeah, so maybe he doesn't get as much training as I was hoping he would from this. I mean, he did (laughs) pull the lightsaber towards him in the cave, so there's that. That's true. Maybe that's what the, the journal has. We'll see.
2: So for the end of this issue, we switch to the Executor, Vader's flagship. So Boba arrives on the flagship. To bring him information and basically just says, he got away. And Vader goes, that is most disappointing. And Boba just goes, he got lucky. And Vader responds with, do you have anything of any value to tell me? And he, and Boba responds with, oh, I got his name, Skywalker. Vader doesn't say anything at all. So Boba goes, all right, I guess we're done here. And he leaves. But after Boba leaves, Vader gets really really angry angry enough that he cracks all of the glass in the room with the force because he's just realized what's going on
0: dun dun
2: dun to be continued in some very awesome issues of the vader series
0: i just want to clap noma that was an amazing reading of the first issue of star wars skywalker strikes
1: thank you that was really good
0: Ed, I thought you were, fell asleep. <laughs> oh no, I was just listening intently. Oh, that was good because I was just like, he hasn't said anything in a little while now, so I'm I'm assuming he either fell asleep or yeah. yeah All right, it,
2: it, and if you guys want me to keep doing this, I don't mind doing the readings for this. So. I am
0: enjoying it, and I think we found your forte for the podcast. <laughs> Definitely. Um. So let's talk about let's talk about these six issues and like where some interesting parts that we thought were you know, uh, interesting twist or anything that you might see it going in the future, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So well, d- uh, just before we do that, I just want to say, I just want to add this in as audio. Um, these six I- issues, they take place between um, episode four and episode five. So it's not like immediately after episode four, but it's uh, like a day or two after, like it's pretty close. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where these six issues, six issues lie um but yeah is there any like thoughts that you guys had on these uh issues that you were like oh i didn't expect that or i thought that was interesting
1: well it's always funny to see just how the the polar opposite of useful that r2 is next to (laughs) c3po where r2's always come in and be like hey you need that deus ex machina like literally i'll Mm -hmm. be here for you um when um overseer aberdeen uh he's like yeah i'm a loyal imperial i don't tell you a thing and then you see the thing that scares him the most because you know he just pulled something crazy uh they're all pointing the guns at him but then r is like hey i had a little like electro stick down here and he's like yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, okay yeah i know that way <laughs> and it was like looking at r2 for that i was like yeah man r2 rocks and then at uh, the same time like we need a ship we need it now oh yeah of course and i'm gonna just drop a gun Yep. Yeah. Because when he came off that ramp, C three PO, like I was like, who else was in this ship? Because that's not three PO. That was a
0: fantastic
2: scene. C C three PO reminds me of like if you if you if anyone has watched Brooklyn Nine Nine, Charles Boyle.
0: Oh my no, god! Yeah, yeah,
2: or or just some somewhat like the stereotypical. This is
0: a weird. I love that reference. That's stereotype.
2: Yeah, yeah. This is this, So this is a weird stereotype, but kind of like the bumbling butler
0: yes 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 like imagine like um i'm blanking on bruce wayne's butler's name
1: oh don't
0: you alfred alfred Alfred. Alfred. no 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 imagine alfred but a complete bumbling fool like that's literally what i'm picturing right now because he's he's british he's very proper (laughs) but then when it comes to other things it's like absolutely not
1: yeah alfred like imagine the batch yet
0: just be like, Alfred, I need you to shoot your way out of the manor and take down uh, Joker's fiends. <laughs> like, it, it, I don't so know if that would actually,
2: work. There, There's a great little gap I can do because I'm also, with all the other things, a big DC and Marvel nerd. So mm-hmm. there's a if, if, any, if any listeners or if either of you guys have read, there's a really good arc in Batman called Court of Owls. Yup. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, it's great. And so at one point, basically, I'll try not to spoil too much, but basically, uh, the Batcave gets attacked. And while a bunch of things are happening and a bunch of stuff's going down, um, Alfred basically is one of the combatants because they, the guys are like storming Wayne Manor and they knock, in, they knock down a door. And Alfred's just there with a shotgun and he's like, please leave. <laughs>
0: That's awesome.
2: And they, and they don't. So he just like lights them up, shotguns one of them. Yeah. And just start, starts, you know, being a badass. So it reminds me of that scene, except they knock open the door, Alfred's there with a shotgun, he says please leave, he drops the shotgun, it goes off, takes <laughs> off his foot, he goes oh god, bends over, his pants split, and then he knocks himself out as he falls. <laughs> like, no dignity whatsoever. Yeah, oh, just
1: was, just that's good. pathetic. That's
0: great. Although
2: the, the end of that monologue or the end of that metaphor wouldn't work because then the enemies would drag him away and dismantle Alfred. That, mm.
0: <laughs> so, uh, is there any other scenes that you guys really enjoyed?
2: I thought it was really interesting when um, Luke first goes up against Vader and I was like, oh, I was expecting their first real fight to be an Empire. And then they start fighting and I go, oh, this isn't a fight. This Yeah. Is the, yeah, this is the adult holding the kid's head at arm's length as he tries to swing.
0: But I did think it was interesting, though, that the fact that they actually met and he knew that he was no match for him. When he mm. went in, in episode five, he would know that he was no match for Vader, but he left anyway.
2: Hmm. Yeah, and it, See, it's a
1: good precedence. At that point, right? Now that he's gotten some modicum of training, if we take it from where he is now, to be like, I'm useless, I can't do anything, nobody ever told me anything, where he's like maybe spent like two months with Yoda and be like, huh, I learned some things. Yeah, now I'm good. And I'll be like, gets cocky about it a little bit. No, it's like Vader was playing with you all those times because he could.
0: Right, that was and very I- minimal strength for Vader. Yeah, and, it's like, and yeah. now
1: you think because you've learned like two things, you're this badass. You can take them on now. <laughs> yeah, I, I okay, f- see how that works, for you.
2: I feel like that's just the Skywalker genes, though.
1: Yeah, because cut it has to, to be. twenty.
2: Yeah, because cut to twenty years before, where Obi wans saying,
1: "You go in from the left, I go in from the. And- we go no, now, I'm taking. No, and again. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops, that oh, looks I- like I'm I'm stun locked for the next five minutes. Yeah, GG, yeah. Obi Wan.
2: <laughs> Don't worry, now I have two lightsabers. Where'd my arm go?
0: <laughs> is there any scenes that you guys didn't really like too much boba fett getting well, yeah that's that's right? like, that just really so that really to, like, i was he, so excited he, to see him
1: yeah he's wailing on luke right and then that's besker he's wearing like you yeah. take a football tackle from that you got some crushed ribs maybe or, you know you've got a concussion you got something not just a Oh, Jedi flat armor, protect me, and I will throw a box at you. Yeah. And oh no. Point, a box that should literally just dent his helmet, be like, huh. Yeah. Okay, what
0: next? It does, it does kind of set up the episode six fumble for him in the Starlack pit a little bit, which is it kind of gives you a little bit more like, oh, I guess I could see that. Like it's it, it's something that he was not expecting because he he's like, Luke, or this boy is not a Jedi, so obviously. He wasn't expecting him to use a force on him. Mm-hmm. And my
1: problem with that, and for all the stormtroopers really, is like he, I get if you hit them with something concussive that knocks them back, yeah, they'll get rattled around. But these guys are wearing helmets. And mm-hmm. um, a quick ding to the head should be nothing. That's the whole point of wearing a helmet. They might well.
0: Totally if you think about stuff. it though, like in the army, like in our in our world and universe, right? Like in our real world helmets like you can get shot but that's gonna dent the helmet and that's gonna like it's gonna hurt like you will feel it for sure and that's just just a small bullet right
2: true but they also drive home the point in this comic that boba fett's armor is formidable because as soon as luke starts the fight he punches boba and ends up hurting himself
1: right because and
2: besker (laughs) yeah and and boba fett even says he goes i'm wearing armor and luke goes oh what are stormtroopers doing wearing armor because he's blind and can't see and boba goes you'd have to ask the stormtroopers who do you think you're fighting right and... but yeah no that that was the one point where i went wait really what but it it's a metal case for a book i don't <sighs> all right why not <laughs>
0: yeah as a, a super big fan of of uh Boba, I was I was a little disappointed with this fight cuz I was expecting to be a, a really good kind of uh confrontation with Luke. Um mm-hmm. I think they could have definitely ended it better. Um I don't I don't know how. I'm not very good at at coming up with story elements, but there must have been a better way than just knocking him out with a box, you know? Like Yeah,
2: I, w- I would have even said just like just drop a bigger like you don't need to drop his. the hut on him. Drop hut like, on yeah. yeah, drop the yeah. roof of the
0: hut.
1: Exactly, with the you lightsaber or whatever. Of this,
2: right? Yeah, just pull down the thing, like have Luke freak out and be like, "Oh God, no! I'm not going down like this." Or, or like even
0: big... lightsaber or something to the roof, and the whole thing comes down, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Or throw a bigger box at him. Yeah, I, I mean, he was or throw R two at him. Was a just zero the entire time. R two can just be like, "Oh, it turns out I have like two rockets in my in somewhere in here." And he, could yeah. he could have been modified.
0: He could have been modified after episode three.
2: Even just have R two. Get the jump on Boba Fett because Boba's actually getting angry and loses focus, and R2 electrocutes
1: him. Right. Even yeah. just that. Something.
0: Because like, at the like point that Fett. Boba got hit in the head, Luke was on the ground. Boba was in front of him with a knife, mm-hmm. uh, like on top of him with a knife. So it's like, I can see that there's a little bit of a struggle there, but I mean, there there definitely could have been a better way to end that. But um, Some other things that I was interested in is Santa Solo. Santa Solo? Yeah. I remember reading that for the first time in 2015. I'm like, what? S- yeah. Han Solo's wife? Like there, there's got to be something there, like some weird backstory, which we will find out eventually. Um, mm-hmm. And Sonna Solo is a recurring character um, in the series to come, which is going to be interesting to see.
2: I remember reading about that when it first came out. Like there were a lot of articles floating around, and people were not happy. I mean, no one's happy when you take established canon and just throw a big wrench like that into it.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Especially after episode seven,
2: yeah, yeah. But I did also notice that uh, that hub dub, that anger, kind of died down quickly. Yeah. So hopefully, you know.
1: Well, I mean, the thing is, that we're all so used to him being like, "Oh, the the general, the hero, ha ha, Han mm-hmm. and Leia forever" kind of thing. But Han has a rep; guy's a scoundrel and all sorts of. Scummy things that you associate mm. with negative people, and that's where that was. That's his lifestyle. That's where he comes from. So something yeah, like this—I mean, like—is it so far out of the realm of possibility? And the fact that he's just like, "Oh God, no, not her, mm-hmm. not anybody but her," kind of thing. It's like, <laughs> mm, well, you know, buddy, what'd you do? Yeah. Is, the, is the first thought you get rather than like, "Oh no, this is terrible." He's supposed to be a good guy. It's like, N- no, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> Chewie would understand. Lando would definitely understand. <laughs> yeah. We we should understand by now, too, the kind of character. That's- so look at what he's doing with Leia on this planet. Guy gets the whole wine and cheese out, being like, "Yeah, yeah all right, princess, here we go." <laughs> right. Like- which which, by the way, is
2: rebottled wine that was there for God knows how many years. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, like, what happens? They she actually drinks it. And it turns out it's vinegar. Like. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: All right. Are you guys uh, are you guys good to enter the feedback segment?
1: Yeah,
2: I just have one little small gripe, one last gripe with Boba that I just realized, which is I I do like you know I do like that they're bringing him back. I do like that they're still putting him into canon. But Ed, I don't know if you ever read this Legends comic, the power level for Boba in these comics compared to Legends. One of my favorite Legends comics is Boba Fett versus Darth
0: Vader. I haven't read yes. that, but I've seen it around, and I no. really want to. Where he,
1: He's the only hunter who gets Vader's respect because of just what he's willing to do. Exactly. Oh. Yep. I,
2: I love that because that ties into five. That is why he likes Boba. And at one point, my favorite part of the comic is Vader's got his lightsaber, and he's just like, you're screwed. It's a lightsaber. And Boba just goes, oh, yeah, and pulls out a lightsaber, turns it on, and goes, do you think you're the only person who's able to kill Jedi?
1: Yep.
0: And nice. I was like, oh,
2: man. He immediately just, like, does a, a very short fight and then loses that lightsaber because he's still fighting Vader. So, you know, that's going to happen. Yeah. But I just remember being like, oh, man, that's the badass Boba. I always, like, imagine. I am
0: so excited for you to read farther into the Star Wars comic series now because there are mm-hmm. things that happen, not with Boba specifically, but with other characters mm-hmm. that are introduced. And it is awesome.
2: I mean, we'll get around to it, I'm sure, some some in a later podcast, but they, they do a very, very good job of making Vader an imposing force in this can- in this new canon universe. Like, uh, one of the first comics I ended up reading, because everyone was telling me it was amazing, is Vader Down. Mm. And if you guys haven't read Vader Down, go read Vader Down, because it's basically just Darth Vader as lightsaber John Wick.
0: Yeah, we will definitely be- <laughs> Oh,
2: yeah, that's the
1: oh, best fuck. analogy it you can have for him. Yeah. We will be
0: covering that um, eventually. I think that's going to be in a few episodes. Um, but yeah, we'll be getting to that one, and I am super excited for Vader Down.
2: It's If you like the end of Rogue One, where Vader just turns into a murder machine, it's just it's more of that, and I think...
0: And it happened before that, be Rogue which Rogue was one. awesome. Yeah. It is
2: very, very cool.
0: I remember reading that, and I messaged... I think it was Ed or someone else, and I was like, dude, Vader Down is epic. That is Skywalker Strikes, guys, and that... Brings us to the end of our episode. So, Noma, Ed, are you guys ready to round out the episode? Oh, yeah. I think so. Welcome to the end of our first literature podcast, the Temple Archives. We are hopefully going to be coming up to you with another episode within the next month with the uh, release of the news episode as well. Uh, on that episode, uh, we are either going to be covering Star Wars Volume 2 or Darth Vader Volume 1. Um, and novel-wise, I think it's going to be *Air to the Jedi, I'm not too sure. Uh, I'll have to look into that, but we will be covering a novel and another comic issue. Um, and if you want to follow myself uh, on social media you can follow me at Daniel J. Venard spelled V-E-N-N-A-R-D and if you want to follow the podcast you can follow us at voiceoftheforce at gmail.com if you want to send us an email twitter at voiceforcepod that's V-O-I-C-E-F-O-R-C-E-P-O-D you can also listen rate and review on pretty much any uh, podcatcher, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Reviewing the podcast would be awesome. Um, it helps us with visibility, so if you review the podcast and let other uh, listeners to podcasts, uh, let them know what you thought. Give them your um, actual thoughts. If you have feedback, whatnot, you can leave it there. Um, leave a, an honest rating. Uh, five stars is always welcome. And that would definitely help us kind of move up in the the podcast rating. so you can actually just go into the entertainment feed or type in Star Wars and we'll pop up. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. And we will come back at you with another episode of news and another episode of literature next month. May the Force be with you.